0: Rachel Daly is a striker. The end.
1: The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports.
0: She's got great passing range. She scores goals. She's great in the air. Brilliant in the air, yeah.
1: Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now.
2: OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent modes. All right, it's bang on half past seven. It is Monday morning. We are bright eyed and bushy tailed after a weekend um, sitting on the couch watching football, or not, as the case may have been. Chain. Good morning, Jer. Good morning, everyone. How are things? There's some there's some debate on, uh, amongst our, our crew, and I'd say uh, the wider world about whether or not people are actively enjoying the World Cup. I saw somebody. A former colleague of ours, Kieran Bradley, uh, tweeting, whispered, am uh, I hearing whispers on the wind that the World Cup isn't great? I'm like, I don't know, Kieran. i I'm not sure. I don't mm. know. I, I, I don't know. What, what do you want? What do you want?
3: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it started off with the bang and I was like, okay, well, I was watching four games a day for the first maybe two or three days. Uh, it's kind of slowed down to maybe two games a day. I tend to get the maybe... The afternoon with the one o'clock game and the seven o'clock game in—is this not an
2: acceptable level of football in in your life? as a, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Approaching uh, middle age, <laughs> not quite there yet. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I think the
3: football has been pretty good, uh, and the shocks have helped. Uh, there's been a few nil nils in there that have been kind of dire, but I mean you're always going to get that in the World Cup. But in terms of the quality of football, I mean Spain Germany was enjoyable last night. It wasn't the best game of the tournament, but I mean enjoyable from a.
2: Uh, football person's perspective, I would say, um, good old-fashioned old strikers. I haven't been sitting there watching all of the games from start to finish, but I've definitely been trying to catch bits of it that I think are going to be important. And mm. so, and it turns out there's always plenty to flick onto. But I, I caught the uh, Costa Rica goal against Japan. That was, <laughs> that was pretty exciting. That was good. But the only one
3: that wasn't excited with that goal was the Costa Rica coach. pan to the bench, and everyone was going wild, and he was just. Stood there. I think he expected, you know, Japan are going to come back here. But what a win for Costa Rica, yeah.
2: The other thing is, right, that, uh, you know, our brain has become infested by videos on Instagram and now TikTok where everybody wants instant gratification. This Mm. is a World Cup group stages. It's going to take a little bit of time to unfold to that last few minutes where then you get something dramatic happening and a good team actually is out. No, No one's been out. No matter what's happened so far up to this point, none of the good teams, obviously Canada are out now, but none of the good teams have actually been dumped out. They've had a bad result and they've had like catastrophic errors, self-inflicted. But it hasn't reached a point where they're gone. And the, the full jeopardy has yet to be unveiled. Are you saying that
3: young people don't have the attention spans for uh, for 90-minute I'd, matches I'd, of football anymore? What would you say? Young people don't have the attention
2: spans. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, straight into that. Hey. Uh, Yeah, I am saying that. I'm not. And I'm not saying young people. I'm in the whole world. Right? Yeah, it's not, this isn't a young person disease. They, they've they've killed all of us, Shane. We're all <laughs> dead. It's well, it's a fair point. I think people just straight away just flick off,
3: and people are sometimes guilty of, of sitting on their phones flicking during matches. I tend not to do sometimes, that.
2: Sometimes everybody, yeah. all the time, every like if you if uh, Colin I think also puts his phone across the far side of the room. If you can do that. Fair play to you. That's,
3: um, I kind of pick it up at half-time. That's my usual process and see what people are saying about the match. And full-time as well. But
2: I, I tend not to use it during, during the match. Um, yeah, It's tough to it's tough to do two things at once. Well, tell us this morning. You're watching uh, at home on YouTube or you're listening to us on OTP Sports Radio. Uh, good World Cup, great World Cup. Meh, not watching it. I, I didn't watch any of it and I'm right not to have. Uh, you can get us this morning oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty. that's the whatsapp number or of course you can leave a comment on the youtube stream or tweet us at off the ball am our performance rankings is coming up in one moment gavin coon is going to join us from doha uh, 10 past 8 uh, sports pages uh, busy weekend of club GAA action alan Quinlan. interesting really interesting final i thought that final window of the um international series because we never played and it's like okay it's not really that important but actually turns out clive woodward has lots to say about what's going on in England and I'm just going to read it in uh, my Sir Clive voice which I haven't used in my 20 years Uh, that's coming your way at uh, 8.50 Jasmine Baba is a German football expert um, big into the stats and data and has been crunching uh, the data and stats about Hansi Flick's Germany not very impressed and yet they're still alive also and then uh, bringing some Brian Kerr goodness right about half past nine this morning at 7.35 it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings you know that wasn't an all Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not.
4: OTBAS
2: performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performances have just
0: lacked that intensity.
2: Red, amber, green. Yes.
3: Start with the red as per usual, Jer. I think, like, Welsh and English rugby both in a bit of bother
2: after that. Oh, the, this is my chance now, I can do it now. This okay, is your chance. You keep going. There. Let's do it. Do and, watch and yourself?
3: I'd like to start maybe with Wales because I think we'll build up to, to giving out a smack about Eddie Jones because that's the that's the fun part. So I like to leave the fun part to the end. Uh, Wales, um, what do you say about the weekend? 39 34, they lose to Australia. This is an Australia that were under strength, to say the least. It certainly wasn't their, their starting 15. Um, 26 unanswered points during the last 22 minutes of that game, conceded by Wales. A ninth defeat in 12 tests this year. And as they head into the Six Nations, you're thinking, I mean, when PIVAC's gone, surely he's gone. Uh, all the talk is Warren Gatlin is coming straight back in. Uh, of course, he was the man there before PIVAC. Um, <sighs> interim head coach, maybe. twelve year 12-month 12 contract. He's the obvious man for the job. And it seems, if the papers are to be believed today, that there are to be meetings with senior Welsh rugby officials that have uh, kind of kicked off after that defeat against Georgia um, eight days ago. That was kind of the kickstart of this. You can lose to certain teams. You can't lose to Georgia. And uh, I, I think it's more the the nature of the defeat to Australia at the weekend as opposed to the defeat itself. To concede so many late points and to, to be so far ahead and to let the team back in uh, in Australia. I don't know. There's something... When Wales play Australia, they just can't seem to get over the line. There's, there's, there's an issue there. There's a mental block.
2: If it was just Australia, that'd be fine. Like you'd be like, okay, that's grand. We'll, 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 you know, see how this goes in the World Cup. But um, Welsh rugby has fallen off a cliff. Like, and it's, it's root and branch reform required, according to all of the legends of the game who are writing the papers. But like, that's not going to fix things between now and the World Cup. No. And the, the thing, the funny thing is, he, was,
3: uh, Pivac was due to travel to uh, France on Sunday to, to kind of scope out the four pool stage venues for the World Cup for Wales Bordeaux Neatley nice, on and Nantes it
2: feels like a bit of a pointless trip now because well, someone's got to do it well someone's
3: got to do it and take the notes but I mean if I'm people back, I'm burning those notes when I come home and get right, sacked
2: well you, you know you send somebody with him to take notes too to make <laughs> yeah. sure don't send them by himself uh, so yeah uh, I'm just looking at the fixtures ok so sorry Wales Six Nations fixtures uh, Italy versus Wales Stadio Olimpico Saturday 11th of March uh, Italy are ringing that and going come on did you know
3: You're licking your lips at Wales at the moment. Every team in the world is licking their lips at Wales at the moment. They're a bit of an embarrassment. Um, Mm -hmm. PIVAC has to go.
2: Careful now, you're going to end up in Wales Online. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, the hard bar, I, like I don't think anyone in Wales Online or anyone who's a Welsh or a We fan would disagree that at the moment things need to change.
2: Shane, you could say you're telling it like it is. There
3: you go. Exactly. We should tell it like it is with Eddie Jones as well, uh, Jerry. I think this morning because
2: uh, uh, Hang on, we, we can spend a bit more time in Wales, right? You want Sorry, you want to stick the boot into Wales? Well, no, I just think that like it's sad. You know, it's sad. Go on, tell me why it's sad. Well, that great red jersey. It was, you know, the the um, the teams that inspired almost all the world to take up rugby by scoring those length of the field tries. You know?
3: Sorry, but like... where where is the romance gone, Shane? A kick of the ball away from a Grand Slam. They win a Six Nations title, they beat the South Africans in in South Africa. Um, So you're thinking, all all is well in Welsh rugby and then shit hits the fan when it comes to November Internationals especially. And you're like, how does this, how does it actually materialise that they can be so good in last year's Six Nations and then so crap in November, where do they go from here? Where, do, yeah, where do they go from
2: here? Essentially, uh, but when's the best time to let go I of, think, of yeah, a manager? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Wales have got a track record of slacking uh, coaches this distance out from a World Cup and it actually having an impact. So we'll see. I mean, I, I didn't think I didn't think PIVAC was great, but then obviously things improved slightly, and then they seem to have regressed again. I think the Welsh playing pool is so thin at the moment that it's very difficult for anybody to have any level of consistency. And here's the thing: if everybody gets fit for the World Cup, they'll still go deep and they'll still cause trouble for people. It's just whether or not, and also they're on the easy side of the draws. We all know <clears throat> it's just whether or not the the enough players are fit and in form. So Gatlin could come in and restore some order, and you would say that would that could have an impact. But it might be it, not, it might not be uh, cause and effect. It might just be that. He gets a little bit more lucky with um, with injuries. Yeah. Also, his experience is is at the very high end of international rugby. So, I mean, it's a bit of a shot to nothing for Gatland. It would suggest that his dreams of coaching the All Blacks are gone. And I know he hasn't really been mentioned in dispatches around that post since he went back down to New Zealand and things didn't work out properly for him there. But like Gatland back in the Six Nations, you know, lobbing grenades at us. Like, like randomly, it? you'd be like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> you know, Andy Farrell seems uh, less um, likely to interact with that than some of our previous coaching tickets. Yeah, uh, I shall
3: leave it at that. Yeah, I think if you're a, you're a neutral or an Irish rugby fan, you you kind of want Warren Gatlin back in. It's a bit of crack and. If- one thing determined what uh, his previous tenure at Wales was was about. It was consistency, and that is the one thing that they do not have at the moment is consistency in results. They're just every now and again they'll pop up with a with a pretty good performance, and then they'll have a Georgia or an Australia where they they look like they're on fire, and then they just let Australia back into the game. Like you're, you're looking at club results, like Cardiff uh, beating the Sharks thirty-five nil in South Africa at the weekend in the URC. You're thinking, okay, well that's that's a really positive sign for Welsh rugby because that came out of the blue, but. Uh, but at international level, it's just not materialising, and uh, yeah, one win in the autumn series is a bit of a damning indictment, I think, of Wayne Pivac. Like, we're talking here, you know, as if there's any chance in the world that you know, will he, will he stay, will he go? He's gone. Wayne Pivac will be gone. Um, you'd imagine it's just a matter of when. Um, I don't think you, you should hold on to a man like you want the manager who's in charge of the Six Nations to be in charge of the World Cup as well. You can't, you can't go into the Six Nations now with Pivac have a per enough. Uh, Six Nations and then expect him to turn it around in time for the World Cup. So I think if they're going to do it, it's got to be, it's got to be cutthroat and it's got to be pretty quickly.
2: Uh, yeah. So the, don't do it after the Six Nations. Is what you're saying? I mean, what? well, if you're going to do it, do it now. Yeah. Although I mean, things could get worse. They could win no games in the Six Nations. and Then they're like, okay, wait. I mean, we tried, Wayne. We definitely tried to give you every opportunity, and unfortunately, it hasn't worked for us. Anyway, look, Sir Clive. Right. Yeah. Do you want to uh, get on to England. Eddie's last chance. If England lose next match, Jones must go. But the next match is like the first match of the Six Nations. Yeah. That's uh, too long. Well, uh, it's a strange time to do it, you know? That doesn't make any sense. Zero sense. Um, Um, Yeah, so it's a bit of a bizarre. What's Clive saying? England are not just losing, they're going backwards at an alarming rate of knots. Yesterday, the RFU released a bland statement confirming their review panel will discuss the autumn campaign. This is the same anonymous RFU review panel that has been in place since 2019. So here we go again. Another year, another review. And then blah, blah, blah. Needs to be transparent. Everybody needs to know who it is. It, I, I, apparently he had a go with Conor O'Shea over the weekend, but I can't see that in this piece. So maybe it was in a mm-hmm. different piece. Uh, since 2019, when Jones England failed to turn up in the World Cup final, you know, having reached the World Cup final, this anonymous panel has conducted two utterly pointless reviews for reasons which have never been explained to me I have never been invited to participate in any of these reviews. At the risk of sounding arrogant, I believe I am the most qualified Englishman to conduct an investigation. People might read that and think, I'm angling for a job. Nothing could be further from the truth. The role as RFU director of rugby would have interested me ten years ago, but that ship has long sailed. Jesus. I've got the quotes on Conor
3: O'Shea in front of me here as well, apparently from his Daily Mail column over the weekend. I know what it's like to be successful at the top level of international rugby and I don't see the qualities needed to do that in the leading figures of the RFU. It comes back to Bill Sweeney and Conor O'Shea at the top of the organisation who aren't good enough to be in their current positions. I mean, two-footed. Sweeney and O'Shea are paying the price for not employing a director of rugby. Fair point there, potentially. And Autumn this bad has been coming and coming for a while. You can't disagree with everything that that Clive Woodward is saying and I think he he has a point on the the review process. It's a bit of a
2: does, he, does well, he I mean I don't know these reviews like what's the ultimately what comes from them but what's the point of them what are they trying to do right they're trying to hold the uh, international manager coach accountable to a committee generally of amateurs it's like this really old system it doesn't it doesn't make like the the I don't know you definitely need some uh, performance management of your elite teams and it's difficult to find a way to make that work that fits with rugby that isn't just corporate bullshit. Mm-hmm. And this all seems like corporate bullshit. Where Sir Clive definitely doesn't want the gig but would have taken the gig if you'd offered it to him 10 years ago. And you know what, maybe maybe, maybe they're going to read this and go, yeah, you're criticising us. Oh, yeah, maybe you could come in and, and be involved. Maybe that might be a way to do but it. Well,
3: it's going to go one of two ways for him. Either they look at it and say, yeah, maybe, maybe Clive's the man or maybe he they says, look at it and say...
2: My hunch is that after the World Cup, the new director of rugby will be Jones and Steve Borthwick will come in as head coach. But Eddie Jones has already been lined up to go and uh, join America for an eight year. Is that not like, I mean, do we not all think that that's more likely to happen than him staying in England as director of rugby and continuing to take this? Mm. Like, does Eddie Jones need this in his life? He probably doesn't. No. I don't don't think Eddie Jones is doing a great job, but I do think that he's always managed to get a team ready for a World Cup. You know, one bit here is stop talking about the World Cup. It epitomises the cosy culture of English rugby and is a surefire way to keep your job, no matter how poorly you perform. <laughs> but it's all that
3: matters. He's doing a he's doing a really poor job, Eddie Jones. That, this is their worst calendar year since two thousand and eight. Looking at their record here in front of me: six losses, five wins, and a draw. More defeats than wins this
2: calendar year. It's terrible that England and Wales in in the mire at the same time. It's really awful, isn't it? Yeah. It's such a pity for rugby at a global level that these two superpowers just can't seem to you know rise above the mediocrity which is constraining their ambition you, you look very upset there Gerard I, yeah, yeah. I mean I definitely don't want them to get rid of Eddie Jones right now I do not want to see what Scott Robertson and Ronan Nagara or Ronan Nagara could do in this situation right now I don't want to see that that would be not good for the rest of the world
3: great moment for a coach to come in though when things are oh it's amazing are bad I mean you're, you're like well this can only go up Surely, yeah. So England, uh, brutal, and the booze at the booze are twicking them as well mm. after the game. I mean, the English fans are clearly fickle, but uh, the only the only game they had a, any decent performance was was against Japan in the November internationals, and they've been shocking in the rest of it. So,
2: ah, well, they were brilliant for 15 minutes at the end of the game. 50 against, minutes against yeah. New Zealand, like. And there's probably is a template there if you're Robertson and R. O'Gara look at that guy I mean, we could actually play like this all the time lads if we just didn't have the constraints but I don't know Eddie seems like a, a difficult character to deal with and his Jose Mourinho style management of hu- other human beings seems to have um, worn out so I don't know Sorry his quotes after the, after the match of the
3: weekend I don't care what people think and that, like, this is a 14 man South African side that they're losing 27-13 to well, you, know, you might not care what people think but I mean you should you probably should Um so yeah, it's just it's just a poor time for 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 Peacock and Jones. So we, we also feel very sorry for them here.
2: And we'll have more on this with Alan Quinn a little, little bit later on. If uh, you are listening on podcast, then you can uh, subscribe to the OTV Rugby feed and you'll get analysis and reaction to that there. Will we go to the next one? Yeah, go. So through. red, we have Belgium. Um, I don't know
3: what to say about. Um about Belgium, you probably have to talk about Roberto Martinez here uh, as as the the main problem. I saw a tweet from someone uh, last night where they were kind of comparing Martinez to Southgate. Who is more tactically out of their depth, Southgate or Martinez? Neil Robertson, the Snooker player, responding to a big football fan. He said both destroyed a golden generation. <laughs> I mean, it's harsh, but uh, with Roberto Martinez, there's been a lot of critics coming out of the woodwork in the last few days since uh, since the weekend i, I don 't know how we all feel about Belgium, but the Morocco game just was not good. Um, look, Morocco had the, had the crowd behind them. Uh, it feels kind of feels a little bit harsh to criticize Martinez because he's done good things that they were you know world number one team in the Rankings. They uh, were okay in major tournaments, uh, knocked out of the, the 2018 World Cup and the Euro 2020 to the eventual winners. be Brazil, be Brazil. so no silverware, but uh, um, you know these are close calls. Uh, and you'd imagine Martínez sitting there going, why why hasn't this worked? What's going wrong? You're seeing people like Thierry Henry on the bench as well. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, his quotes of the weekend were quite interesting to say the very least. He said, they're too old to win the World Cup. This is before the Morocco game. Um, this was an interview with the, with the Guardian last uh, Saturday. And he said, no chance of winning the World Cup, we're too old. That is a remarkable quote to get from your main man during a tournament.
2: To say to suggest at any stage that you can't win it. But do you think he means it? Well, is it not like a reverse jinx type? Well, it could like, be. Maybe he, does. maybe he does mean it. Maybe Kevin De Bruyne is very straightforward. He's, he has always seemed fairly straightforward. Yeah. Uh, you know. <clears throat> well, Martinez, was, he was asked
3: about the comments um, in the post-match press conference, I think, after the game at the weekend. He said, this is the first time I've heard that. At a World Cup, players have to speak to the media every day. 90% will be positive, but there are always one or two lines that don't fit into the context. A player is allowed to wear their view. Uh, maybe it was a double bluff. It's what happens behind the scenes that matters. I don't know, was it a double bluff? De Bruyne has seen fairly yep. legit in what he was saying.
2: Yeah, Vertonghen <coughs> uh, said maybe we're too old in attack last night after the, uh, <laughs> the last a response. Maybe the other, end, the other end of the pitch as well. Uh, Marti- like, Martinez is kind of hinting at uh,
3: the weight of expectation. They don't have a Brazil weight of expectation on their shoulders, Belgium. That's a ridiculous
2: thing to say. Nobody's coming in going, Belgium should win this World Cup. I'd say the Belgian fans are probably thinking it, you know. I'd say, yeah. I'd say the Belgian fans probably thought that they, this... This, like, the golden generation. I mean, that Neil Robertson thing. Did, well, I mean, Southgate wasn't in charge when the original golden generation with golden balls and his crew were, were there. He didn't have Wayne Rooney, like, the best young footballer in the world, playing for his team. It's true. Uh, yeah, he's Phil Foden, one of the best young footballers in the world, and he won't even put him
3: on the pitch. Yeah. It's another matter. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later on with Gavin Cooney. Um, You'd wonder. There, yeah, there are certain teams, and I think Belgium have to be one of those teams in the red because uh, after the weekend, you're, you're looking at them. They were better on the ball than they were against Canada. Um, in the Morocco game, but that last pass was just uh, just not there, and uh, there was a, there was a fear of losing. I think as Martinez put it as
2: well. So I also think Morocco are in no mugs. Like yeah, they're a good team. That's the thing. There's been a, a this. We keep talking about this in the, in the tier that we're in. There's been there's no shy teams anymore. Nope. Basically, uh, Robbie Brady said that to David Snade in a piece a couple of weeks ago, and David told us about it a couple of weeks ago, and he's right. Like mm-hmm. none of these teams, they all have like Morocco have players who have played in massive massive games, and they were able to influence in key moments matches against another side who have their flaws like Belgium are a very flawed team I still don't think they're out and it's amazing to me that it was Courtois who ended up with the mistake that cost them the first goal and that's such a key goal so still, still I still love you T-Ball you still my number one you still love him
3: yeah he's, I, he's quality um, but I'm just looking at the group here I mean the, the table is fairly well set in their group and it's in fact, to be fair, a lot of the groups—it's—it's it's going down to the last, yeah. to the last game in, in a lot of them. Croatia four points, Morocco four, Belgium three, and Canada zero. I
2: like that group, uh, and it's what Belgium, Croatia in the last game. Yeah, it should be a decent game. So, uh, so you'd assume Morocco will beat Canada, but you don't know. I mean, Canada with nothing to lose, like they were still at it. Anyway, we'll get on to this now. Won't yeah, we? the amber. Uh,
3: so this is Croatia and Canada and uh, the beef with these two countries, is, uh, is very much real.
2: This should really be Kevin Caban versus Paul Pescius right? That was, that was the beef of the weekend, where uh, Kev Oh yeah. Where Kev was attacking Pescius after Pescius came for him. And it was like, screw you. And all of Ireland were like, hang on a second. Who the hell are you, Paul Pescius Lido? Yeah, well, Who the, is,
3: the hell are you? He said there were too many British pundits. There was an, yeah. Uh, which, uh, by the way, is just a complete dig at Kev, because well, Pescius knows rightly that Kev is a proud Irishman.
2: Well, there you go. Somebody did go. He's not talking about you, Kev. Couldn't, he couldn't be talking about you, obviously. Yeah. You well, might well have been. No, but I think you might have been. And look, we'll defend Kev here. Screw I, you, uh, Pascaleito. That's what we're saying. We're coming for you, buddy. Yeah. Screw you, Paul Pascaleito. I, I, I was watching okay, the, the next game time on, you drink the pint of Guinness, may the head be flat. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I watched
3: the Canada game on TSN last night, so I could get the whole Kevin goodbye oh, yeah? experience and uh, T- add, totally legal, of course. But yeah, go on. of course. We're, we're all biased here, but Kev was brilliant. He's a brilliant pundit, and he added it to it nicely. And there's enough. There's a load of Canadian voices on the coverage, um, and Kev adds that different dimension, the outsider. Who's kind of come in and, and watching a lot of football over there now as well? So, I think it needs that. Um, uh, like you're seeing punditry, like Roberto Mar- Mar- Pochettino was on the BBC at the weekend, and I mean he's not English, but it adds to the it adds to the punditry, and he was brilliant. I thought, um, unsurprisingly, he's one of the best coaches in the world. But yeah, the Kev stuff was, was a bit mad. But the the great beef um, that also involved Canada at the weekend was was John Herdman versus Lako Dalic, the uh, Canadian versus Croatian manager. So there was a pitch side interview. Uh, after Canada's previous game uh, to the Croatia one uh, yesterday and he said I told them they belong here and we're going to go and fuck Croatia that's as simple as it gets and then a Canadian reporter uh, a
2: little, little language warning there for any young ears in the cards yeah. in the next 10 seconds maybe a few F-bombs there uh, might be a you, couple like of no, like you've one job there go on yeah sorry Ap- apologies
3: if anyone was was offended um, but then a Canadian reporter lands into the pre-match uh, news conference for, ahead of the Canada game Um And he was asked for his team's response to Herdman's quotes and he said uh, he had lectured his opposition ahead of the game. And uh, he used the word in the press conference, respect, the word respect 12 times in his answer. So this was his response. The Croatian team deserves respect from everyone. We respect everyone equally. Uh, We expect our opposing teams to respect us. We are worthy of their respect. The Canadians must also have respect for us. This way of putting words together is not a sign of respect. We're the World World Cup runners-up from 2018. Not Brazil, Spain or other countries. Brilliant. And then Kramaric, Andre Kramaric, uh, who scored the equaliser in the 36th minute and then got a second, midway through the second half last night, uh, against Canada, said uh, it had spurred Croatia on. Those comments from uh, John Herdman. Another uh, language warning for you here in just a second. Uh, Picked up his player of the match award, Kramaric, and he uh, said, I want to thank the Canada coach for the motivation. In the end, Croatia demonstrated who fucked whom. (coughs) So it was fun, quite fantastic. Uh,
2: uh, Mafia also style, all due respect. Yeah. Anytime anybody's talking about respect, they don't mean it. Not the beef you expected. I actually saw an interview
3: with a guy beforehand who was wearing a half Croatia, half Canada top. Uh, born in Croatia, five or six years old, moved to, to Canada, lived his life there. So he was, didn't know who to pick, didn't know who to choose. Uh, but very much, it's a, a new international rivalry uh, to, to kind of compete with USA versus Iran, which we know is is boiling up nicely off the pitch as well as on pitch. So. All
2: right. Uh, Shifty Lad says literally every group stages of every World Cup are not great unless you're involved it's hindsight that makes you remember the good times these group matches are very good Enemies OK Feeney says definitely been some decent games so far and many upsets what do people want from the group stages I'm kind of with you Enemies OK Feeney and Aidan Healy says I've watched two full games England versus USA game being second I'm never getting those two hours back <laughs> you've got to definitely be uh, careful if, if England are playing on ITV you can you can definitely swear at it. I'm, not, um, a, I'm yeah. not a believer in this but I mean it's just causation is not correlation. I, yeah, it was, in the USA was one of the games it was actually
3: the first game of the World Cup I said I'm going to go to the pub and watch this one just to get a bit of an atmosphere instead of watching it at home and uh, myself and the housemate went down to the pub and uh, surrounded by a lot of American fans and there was one or two tables of English fans and I was thinking before the game this is great we've got both sets of fans here this is going to get really lively when, when USA eventually score and Pulisic gets the crossbar you're thinking this is going to really heat up but the game just never took off and uh, unfortunately we never got to see the beef uh, turn up in that one
2: To be fair to Southgate he never really get a Wigan which is something the Belgian FA must have never known says Richard Redballs on uh, YouTube I, I don't think Martinez is that bad I do think that probably should have gone after the last tournament and let somebody else come in but like you remember how crap they were in the Euros before he came over and like we were doing a bit of uh, research ahead of the, the uh, game that Belgium played against Ireland they hated the manager whose name just escapes me Mark Wilmots Mark mm-hmm. Wilmots, the Belgian press hated him they were leaking to somebody was leaking from the squad that Wilmots kept talking bragging about himself as a player uh, kind of Glenn Hoddle-esque you know Oh, this is what you should all be doing. And it was like uh, peak Hazard, peak Lukaku, uh, peak De Bruyne. And, um, you know, when, when the centre backs were like only 32, you know, and they could still have uh, managed to, is that six years ago? So they would probably been 30. Um, yeah, I don't know. But okay. I, it's it's funny because like I think there's a lot of pressure
3: on managers in Belgium. Like th- it's one of those countries where, it, like Ireland, the obsession with the manager
2: and the referendum is constant. It turns out that that's the case in every, every team country. in the world. But like you only get exposure to it. I remember when we were doing the Danish tournament, they were like, oh, I'm, we are not thinking of manager's not doing right. And then they come and hammer us and I'm like, oh was not do with the managers. Christian Eriksen was really good. Like every fan base thinks that the international manager is shite. Basically, yeah. I was chatting to someone who was in Brussels last week. Maybe Spain at the moment have found somebody who is their spirit
3: animal. Yeah, there's all joy for him. I was chatting to someone who was in Brussels last week and he said you wouldn't know, being in the Belgian capital city, that the country were in the World Cup. There's just no fanfare. There's no like, advertisement flags. There's no, I guess, pointed uh, indications that the country is in the World Cup whatsoever, which, which seems bizarre to me because I feel like if, if the Republic of Ireland were in the World Cup at the moment, there would just be World Cup fever everywhere and you'd certainly know it in the streets. Maybe I'm wrong. But, um, yeah, uh, Belgium under pressure. But, uh, yeah, Croatia-Canada had to be in the beef is real. Both in the amber, I think, after the, the little petty rivalry they had. All right, green. Let's get to the green. Uh, so, France, we're going to go to the, the first green. The only 100% team left in the the World Cup. Uh, and rightly so, I think they're, they, they've been impressive. Kylian Mbappe has been the man of the tournament so far. I don't think anyone can argue with that. He's lit it up. Uh, Messi struggling for survival. Ronaldo's bringing controversy with him. Neymar has ankle troubles. And Mbappe is just... Uh, finding his form, and uh, as he did in the 2018 World Cup, he's just stepping up to the plate with France. Um, so himself and uh, Ener Valencia for Ecuador are the, the leading goal scorers in the tournament, three goals apiece uh, after two games uh, for each of them. That's seven goals in World Cup games already for Kylian Mbappe in his career, which is, which is uh, an extraordinary stat when you consider that only he and Pelé have scored that many in the World Cup uh, before they, re- they reached the age of 25. So he's now scored 50 goals for club and country in a calendar year for the first time as well. So as well as being a danger coming in from the left flank, he's also now banging in the goals. So uh, kind of stepping up to the whole Benzema being out. France are in a disaster mode before the World Cup. When you're looking at Pogba and Kempembe and uh, all these guys in and K- and Kunku as well being ruled out, If are thinking France's chances maybe aren't as strong as, as we felt. But uh, after the first two games, you have to say, they've been probably the most impressive team. We have to, have to see Brazil, of course, uh, in their second game yet. But uh, you're often talking about... Mbappe being in the shadow of Ronaldo and Messi the last few years, maybe because he's in the French League, maybe because he hasn't won the Champions League
2: with his club, um, and he's yet, yet a lot well, to prove. He did, he did win the World Cup. He was their best he player, did. most important player when they won the World Cup. So I, I think that should have put that argument to bed four years ago. Um, I, the Pelé comparison is really interesting because you do feel like here is somebody who could reach the heady heights of a three-time World Cup winner, and whatever comes at club level is going to come from a club level. It does make you think, though, that like maybe... He's going to make as much money playing for Paris Saint Germain for the rest of his life and be able to peak for massive tournaments. And there'll be occasional months of the year where he's disappointed that they didn't win the Champions League. But the rest of the year, he'll score 50 goals. Mm. And he just decide that, yeah, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be the king of France. And I'm going to try and win the World Cup three times and be like, yeah, I'm literally the greatest footballer I've ever. And nobody can argue. Yeah. I like. There's a lot of pressure.
3: There's, there's pressure in, in a different kind on of France. Brazil are the last team to defend a World Cup, in it from you know 1958 to 1962, if if France could go and do that and become an iconic era team, then uh, I mean that would be the next step, and and Mbappe would be the leader in both World Cups uh, as he's proved so far. They could be on course for an England clash in the quarterfinal, and and more to come. You
2: know, like plenty of time for him to to keep well, exactly. Uh, he's got, he's got loads. It of has it, been sensational though. Like it's it, you know it's, it's everything you wanted Mbappe to be able to do. There was definitely a fear earlier in the season when the row was happening at um, Paris Saint-Germain, and the leaks were coming out about how he wasn't trying to leg, and he was. You know, I was like, well, actually, this could end really badly. He's got, he's got too much power. It's been a disaster for everybody, but he has arrived and has decided, yeah, I'm going to be at it, and he's at it, and it's brilliant to watch. It's amazing. Yeah, and Griezmann's probably the brains behind the operation at the moment. Um, like Map is taking all the, the
3: the plaudits and the and the uh, the headlines, of course, but. Griezmann's been brilliant in this World Cup so far, in a more understated way. You have Dembele, who's been class. Giroud, uh, as well, has kind of stepped up with Benzema being out. So across the French team, there's just... You're looking at someone like Lucas Hernandez getting an ACL injury and you're thinking, that's him out of the World Cup, that's a big blow for them at left-back. But his brother his brother just walks into the team, Theo, and, and completely carbon copy of him. So, I mean, they're, they're, finding, they're finding ways to fill those gaps that they had in terms of injuries. And uh, Didier Deschamps just has... The team spirit is the thing, and uh, you talk about it with the Brazil team at the minute because when they're getting off the bus, they're all singing and dancing and playing drums. There's something there, um, but the French have that as well, and uh, that, that's something that, that can be very, very dangerous as the tournament goes on. So I think if France France end up playing England like in a quarter final, that would be curtains for England. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Um, that could be a two or three nil job potentially.
2: Well, I mean, you're, you're manifesting there, Shane. I'm manifesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: Don't yeah, Don't be, um, don't be, you know tempting fate what's yeah. next yep yeah, next up in the, uh, the green we'll go to uh, a brilliant weekend for the uh, the Irish girls over in Australia Sinead Goldrick uh, making a little bit of history um, on the, the weekend she's become the first woman to win a All Island ladies football title and an AFLW premiership title so Melbourne Demons beating the Brisbane Lions in the grand final in, uh, in Springfield down under uh, Blocking Mackin as well the Armagh player who was in Australia playing for the first time this season what a first season for her as well uh, and she scored a goal in the second quarter uh, before the crowd. Um, so, mirroring that of, of Zach Tui and, and Mark O'Connor, that achievement with, with Geelong Cats this week, this, uh, this season, uh, and it now doubles the number of Irish AFLW Premiership title winners. So, uh, tips Orla O'Dwyer, of course, winning, winning with Brisbane last year. She was on the, the wrong side of the game at the weekend, Orla O'Dwyer, unfortunately for her, uh, and of course Claire Jewell Star, Eilish Considine, who uh, was the first two time winner of the AFLW. Uh, but we now have four winners. Uh, in the AFLW season and Constantine and Mackin are, are two key players for this Melbourne team as well which which can't be dismissed um, uh, Olo Dwyer played well despite being on the wrong side of the, of the game as well 11 disposals 2 marks 6 tackles um, but for Goldrick and uh, for, for, for this Melbourne team it's redemption they lost the grand final to Adelaide earlier this year um, when uh, Lauren McGee, her Dublin uh, teammate, was was alongside her. So, really, really good achievement from uh, from Sinead Goldrick. And when she she looks back on her career now, already. All-Ireland Ladies title champion. And she's gone down under and won won the big one down there. So, I mean, I don't know when she's planning on coming home, if she's planning on coming home. But you can do it with your head held high now. Um, Small enough crowd, 7,500, which I thought was... Quite small for a game of that magnitude down, 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 under when you consider the the crowds that attend the uh, you know the ladies all Ireland football final here in Croke Park. So uh, that was one thing that kind of struck me. But um, huge achievement for for Sinead Goldrick of Dublin and Mac and of Armagh. So well done to the both of them.
2: You can see the recruitment drive ramping up again from Australia for Ireland, and like I just think it's great for anybody who gets the opportunity to go and see the world. I know that uh, the custodians of the game here will be concerned about the fact that. Um, Irish men and women are going to Australia in the numbers that they're going to but like does anybody begrudge them really Yeah and I think in the women's game it's probably more pertinent because the the players you see going
3: to Australia from ladies football are the top players in the country very often the Vicky Walls of this world and they're all having an impact straight away Yeah like you don't see David Clifford
2: and those types heading off to Australia Well obviously Kerry had to map out a career plan for David Clifford and yeah. he introduced a whole campaign around keeping Clifford
3: yeah and you have to do that uh, in the ladies game it's kind of it, it seems more difficult to hold on to the players for whatever reason um, but I'm sure teams are making more of a concerted effort now to, to keep those players in, in country uh, of course, like Blind Mac and leaving Armagh was a huge blow to them. And they've become really good the last couple of years. Um, Goldrick is one of, one of those key players on that on that great Dublin team that uh, won four All Ireland titles between 2017 and 2020. Uh, of course, Mayo or May stopping the, the five in a row tilt in 2021. But uh, perfect time she picked to go uh, once once they, that four in a row was over. There, she was like, right, let's go.
2: All right, that was this week's edition of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. Right, to Qatar, and I'd say Gavin Cooney of the 42 is with us this morning. Uh, are you in Doha? Is is it? Can you be anywhere other than Doha, really, in Qatar if you're covering the World Cup?
1: You can be out in a canvas tent in the desert. Uh, mercifully, uh, FIFA didn't impose that on the media, so I am. I am somewhere in Doha. It's a bit of a building site around our hotel. The, the Doha Sports Stadium is beside us, which we. Uh, which I've learned is it was the first real sports stadium in Doha in, its, in some slightly on-the-nose metaphors. The first games of football in Qatar were played on sand with the lines for the pitch demarked in oil. So, I mean, that's a nice little metaphor for what this World Cup has become. But that was meant to be developed for this World Cup and they abandoned it and they abandoned it in a very true sense. So our hotel rises out of rubble around it. But it's, look, it's a pretty good location. It's 20
2: minutes from the Metro and which I'm, I'm spending my life out here. And uh, by all accounts, the Metro is one of those actual legacy things that uh, the people of uh, Doha will have that has been built for the World Cup and seems pretty good. Yeah, no, it, it just, I mean...
1: The trains run on time um, here. Uh, there's a metro going every three minutes. They've even opened up the first class carriage for the purpose of the World Cup. They will close that um, after everyone moves on and, and segre- then that um, economic. Well, is it economic? Not really. Segregation here at, at, at work in Qatar will will come into uh, will come into force once
2: again. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about football. So far, um, the Iranian fans were impressive so far uh, of the the various fan groups that we've seen obviously Saudi Arabian fans um, well they were were, uh, loud of voice in the first game and um, what were the Iranian fans actually like in person
1: it was amazing. I was at the Wales game and it was just one of the most amazing occasions I've ever had the privilege to be at. When you see the press box was right up in the back right hand corner. Um, one of the consequences of being here as an Irish journalist is you don't exactly get the best seats. But as it turns out, this was the best seat because I was closest to the Iranian fans. And their uh, their uh the, the atmosphere that they generate and the link that they have with their team is one of the main stories of this World Cup so far. I mean, they were so loud throughout. I mean, Wales, uh, the first half of that game was an absolute dog of a game. It was another of these classically terrible nil-nil draws that we've seen at this World Cup. But you wouldn't know it from the intensity the intensity of the atmosphere that the Iranian fans had produced. And then what better way is there to win a game than strike from the edge of the box in the 99th minute And then uh, when everyone is shrieking in disbelief at just how good this feels, tag on another goal in the 101st minute to confirm that, yes, this is very real and you should enjoy it for all it's worth. But obviously, the, the, the big story about Iran is not really linked to the football at all. I mean, it's just been this astonishing story um whereby the Iranian players obviously they lined up against England on Monday refused to sing the anthem the national anthem national anthem is not necessarily indicative of iran as a country but it is in um an emblem of of the ruling regime which is now uh, cracking down so brutally on protest back in iran it, the anthem was rewritten after the revolution in 1979 and the players silently disavowed it and the, and the uh, fans in the crowd uh, very loudly disavowed it by jeering it. Um, then, like, what kind of pressure was put on the Iranian players in the days that followed? Mehdi Taremi, the striker, insisted none, but then a former Iranian international was arrested. Uh, the night, uh, the day before the Gaming of Wales for allegedly sp- spreading, you know, propaganda. Um, so as a result, the players did, uh, did line up and did sing the anthem this time, but they did it with, you know, absolutely no zeal and absolutely no passion. They, they mouthed it kind of lazily. Um, and then you, th- this incredible moment among the crowd where the crowd initially, um, you know, everyone is, everyone is watching the big screen to see what the Iranian players are going to do. And then the, the fans realise that, yes, they're singing, but they they look to be doing it so under some level of duress. So then there was this this, this close-up shot of this man, I mean, maybe this came across in the TV coverage back home as well, of this man just breaking down in tears uncontrollably in a kind of, you know, despair. It's just, I've never seen despair. So obviously blatant on a man's face. Uh, and then it ended in tears as well with Karolaj uh blue eyes twinkling as uh, as Iran, uh, Iran won, playing under the most extraordinary pressure. It's an amazing story. And then you've got this, uh, just talking to a couple of Iranian journalists over here, that you've got this very different thing going on between how the team are viewed back home and how the team are viewed back here. I mean, there are protesters back home who are now risking their life uh, for the sake of change in their own country, the belief that the players should be doing more. Now, the Iranian state television is not showing the close-up shots of the of the players singing or not singing the anthem. They cut to the big tactical camera up in the sky, um, when, on which the players look like ants below. But then the, the fans who have travelled over here are aware of the of the risks that the players have taken and how the players have spoken out. Um, and and I was going to say, voiced their protest. They voiced their protest by not engaging their voices at all. Um, so it's just it's this extraordinary story, and now we're we're heading to uh, the final group game against the USA. There's more uh, there's more uh, political skirmishes off the pitch. Uh, the USA have removed the emblem of the regime from the Iranian flag on social media posts. The Ar- Iranian FA have have called for the USA to be kicked out of the tournament as a result. That won't happen. But uh, that I was initially going to do England Wales, but I've swapped to uh, w- uh, USA Iran just because. Iran are one of the most amazing, most amazing, most remarkable stories of this World Cup so far.
3: Yeah, it feels like the most significant, uh, like those those national anthem moments both, both, uh, before both games. Just feels like one of the legacy things we'll be talking about out of the, outside of this World Cup, Gavin. And like the, Carlos Kiraz as well, taken to Twitter remarkably to refute Jurgen Klinsmann was was another aspect of this which just makes Iran even more interesting.
1: Yeah, it's just another little. Uh, it's just another little um, postscript to this story, isn't it? I mean, Klinsman was on BBC talking about gamesmanship. Now, I was at the game; like the referee was a real let it flow merchant, um, and I, I didn't come away from it thinking God, Iran ref- were cynical and uh, and were went over the line there. But the BBC evidently believed that they did, and, and Klinsman spoke of how this is you know Iranian Iran's culture to work the referee over this uh, montage of, of fouls that weren't given. I mean, they didn't include in that same montage the bit where the Wales goalkeeper kicked Medhi in the face and was given a yellow card for it, um, which was then overturned uh, and given red on, on VAR. So Carage naturally went after Klinsmann on this, on in a kind of a real kind of Eminem, Dear Stan style uh, Twitter thread, uh, Dear Jurgen, inv- inviting him into uh, to see what the Iranian culture is really like by visiting the team hotel, and obviously calling him for him min- in a nice little mic drop at the end to resign from his position on the FIFA technical committee for this World Cup.
2: Um, like it's it's a it's a bit of a sideshow. Klinsmann's main problem was that he then started to compare them to all of the other countries that he'd ever played against when he was the USA manager, and suddenly it's like a massive lumping in of of countries who are non-European, non-traditional football powers, and it's like ah, oh, they're all the same. Which you know, yeah, uh, yeah. curious little undertones there bubbling up. Which, yeah, um, totally. And like, I mean, Klinsman is now, I mean, he's a man of the
1: US now uh, these days. Like, He's obviously a failure of a USA manager and he, he lives there now. So that, uh, I, I mean, I wonder if Kerosh would have said the same and taken to Twitter, had the USA not in the next game. I'm not so sure about that. Kirosh is a wily character in his own right, but uh, yeah, another little uh, subplot for... Uh, well, Kirosh gets Trump. to go
2: on the attack against somebody and then it's no longer the conversation about the politics and and uh, the anthems and all that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, I mean, that that is a very good point, Chair. I hadn't really considered that. I'm going to
1: do Kirosh's press conference later today, so we'll see. I still think that the anthems and just the sheer weight of that story will still... Uh, Mean it dominates the press conference to an extent. He, I think, is he has struggled somewhat under the weight of these questions, and I don't blame him. He has to he's had to play a very difficult role. I mean, he's to he's to balance a number of uh, of strong voices against each other. You know, I mean, he uh, he initially criticised the fans um, after the game on. England uh, against after the England game, saying that they weren't welcome because he interpreted their boos of the anthem as boos of the players. Now that wasn't accurate. Maybe he's being willfully inaccurate there just to get an answer out. He also snapped at a BBC journalist who asked him talking about oh you you should ask your prime minister about Afghanistan or something along those lines.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes people who are uh, doing one job aren't good at answering questions about uh, outside influences or the rest of the world. Akiraos um, is an interesting an interesting character. Like, um, I'd, I'd I, is, is Roy Keane doing their next game? That that would be interesting. Uh, okay, so apart from that, what um, what was the other thing that we wanted to talk to you about? Oh, the Germany Spain game, right? Um, mm. The importance of having an actual striker, uh, but no one trusting their strikers at the moment. This this is kind of a theme in world football where if you have a striker, things can go very very well for you deep into the tournament. If, if Harry Kane starts playing well, for example, for England, that's going to be the difference between them drawing a lot of games, nil all, and uh, maybe occasionally winning. Killing Mbappe is obviously, you know, not bad. But um, it took the substitute strikers to to swing this game and to score some goals. So what, what were your takeaways from that game?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this game. It was just another like massive privilege to be at. It, it felt like a really high-stakes, late-knockout game. Spain were much the better side, but Germany... Germany were pretty resolute, and it was almost... You know, Spain and Germany, are are two great ideologues of our time. You know, one gave us tiki-taka, and the other gave us Gegenpressing. pressing. And, like, the first hour of this game kind of felt like they were both debating their ideas. Like, uh, who was it on, on Dick Cavett? It was, like, Gore Vidal against uh, a William Buckley. Sorry, I almost said... FX Buckley, but I think he's the, the <laughs> Dublin Bush was. Um But so this is like a, this is like really like impressive flourish of a university debate between these two philosophies, and it ended in a kind of a deadlock. So some of Spain's triangles and passing was just an absolute joy to watch, but they just lacked that bit of a killer touch. And it was the same with Germany; they had their counter-attacking threat and they pressed pretty well, um, and they created chances from it, like Joshua Kimmich winning the ball back off Pedri on the edge of the box his shot was was blocked by union simon and then like the two great philosophers of our time were like okay it's time for this is a new age and it's the new age of the big lad up top. So, uh, first Luis Enrique sent for Alvar- Alvaro, Alvaro Morata. And then Spain had been exploiting that left side, Germany's right side all night. They've been trying to get in behind Tilo Carre, but it took Morata with a finishing touch, uh, to put something on the scoreboard. Brilliant finish. First time finish. Morata's always, Morata is always better when he doesn't have time to think about what he has to do. He's very instinctive. It's when he has a couple of, couple of minutes or a couple of seconds to think he, he struggles. And then Hansi Flick sent for Nicholas Fulkberg, um, or Fulkrug, should I say. Uh, he, he uh, run with Leroy Sane. Sane was excellent. Um, and a, uh, Sane, there's this frequent move from Germany where Sane used to skate in from the right wing and Musiala used to uh, run this kind of diagonal, almost crisscross run. Um, and Sane would pop it through to, uh, to Musiala. Uh, initially, the first time they did that, Musiala shot straight at Simon. The second time they did it, Musiala miscontrolled, uh, but it took Fulcrook to lash the ball into the roof of the net. So, Germany are still alive in the tournament. Spain looked much the better side. Um, and like, you know, the, these are the two sides, you know. I... Because they're such great like philosophers of, of football and um, all of the uh, all of the advanced ideas that they've given to us uh, in terms of tiki taka and then pressing. I mean they're maybe the two most responsible for the erasure of the traditional number nine. But then you think about it, like both have needed great strikers to win their World Cups, like David Villa for Spain, Marislav Klose for Germany, and on the basis of last night, I think maybe both sides will need Morata. Uh, and full crook uh, if they are going to if they are going to go all the way here uh, here in Qatar
3: yeah I don't think I don't know if anyone's ever said this before but you can never write off the Germans uh,
1: for sure but um, <laughs> like, then Costa Rica wrote it again in there Portugal. you go exactly <laughs> obviously really enjoyed that game it was a great upset etc etc uh, but what a massive disappointment to be going to Germany Spain later in the day and be like oh this is this is not quite uh, the everything on the line shootout that I thought it might be exactly I saw, saw a great tweet uh, Gav last night someone
3: was saying uh, look at me I'm Spain and I can create two of the best midfielders of all time and just have them respawn after they retire pathetic grow up <laughs> I mean to see Gavi and Pedri up close and personal in a, a matchup it must have been quite special just two uh, it's hard to believe how, how young they are is at 18 and
1: 20 maybe it's just r- remarkable mm. yeah I think Pedri was 20 on Friday so they're not we can't write teenage midfield you anymore <laughs> Ah, uh, they're fantastic. Like, my words. I mean, it's just, you know, it is another sport. I mean, they're always, their, their heads are always up. They're always scanning around. They're always moving and they always want the ball. Pedri. I mean, Gavi obviously hit the headlines the previous game for, was he the youngest goal scorer at the World Cup since Pele? Um, but Pedri, Pedri is the star of the show. I mean, what a player. He is, I know, uh, Shane, you mentioned respawning Xavi and Iniesta. They've also seemed to fuse them in, uh, in Pedri because <laughs> Pedri's got that, um, pop, pop, pop passing range of Xavi, but he can dribble by people like Iniesta used to do. He, uh, you know, these, these whirling feeds and he's just, like he doesn't have amazing acceleration, but whatever way he manages to, to throw his feet and, and shape his hips, he always manages to get away from whatever whatever burly German midfielder was trying to get close to him. So, no, uh, did they look like, you know, obviously injuries permitting, and Barcelona did run Pedri into the ground after the previous Euros. Uh, they do look like, you know, Javi and Mark II and the two more most dominant uh, midfielders that we're going to see in Europe for the next few years.
2: Uh, Speaking of midfielders pre-tournament there was a belief that France's downfall was going to be a lack of guile in midfield and uh, one way of getting around that is to put Griezmann in that three and to give him some responsibility for being the creative fulcrum and taking some pressure off whoever the other two are and it looks like we know who the other two are going to be for the rest of the tournament that front three is largely set in stone certainly at a starting point at the moment it seems anyway so what is the influence of Griezmann is he up to this over the course of a full tournament do you think Yeah, I think he probably is. I mean, he hasn't been playing a lot at club level, so he does.
1: He's lots of energy, um, and he looks pretty sharp. He's been, you know, the mad thing is, like, I mean, Karim Benzema is the Ballon d'Or holder, but his injury maybe is a bit of a silver lining there for France because France and Dachon made a bit of a mess at the Euros trying to accommodate Benzema and the team. With Giroud up front and and the structure, the kind of 4-2-3-1 they've got now, they've got such a lovely balance. And, you know, Mbappe is obviously the star. It's not, you know, it's not another French Republic, but like for Mbappe to be the star, someone needs to be humble. And Griezmann is just this emblem of humility. And he's an outstanding player. Obviously, he's create creative. Um, in terms of creativity, we saw him to the fore uh, against, uh, against Denmark. His was the through ball onto which Mbappe. Well, teleported really rather than sprinted to and was hauled down by christensen and then it was his unbelievable cross for the winning gold mbappe steered in from a yard out but like when you're at the game you're lucky enough to see like the impact that this guy has off the ball he does all the running i mean he does the running uh he's the domestique of this uh of this front line uh, and he's so important he's just this amazing ability to be in the right place at the right time to win tackles um, and spoil counter attacks. If the right fullback goes forward, he'll sometimes shuffle in and, and cover that space. He's so intelligent. Um, and France, I have to say, they were the first team through to the knockout stages. They've been a lot better than I thought. You know, you thought maybe, uh, maybe they would struggle, um, in the absence of Kante and Pogba. They're getting good performances out of Charmagne and, and even Rabio. Like Rabio now looks like, you know, uh, some of his performance were performances. Whereas if the Deschamps just handed a pair of boots and a French jersey to the first barista he met down South William Street, (laughs) but he's been really good at this tournament so far, Um, and it's all down to Mbappe. I mean, France. I think Deschamps has won the war with Mbappe's ego. I mean, Mbappe is still obviously he's not tracking back. I mean, he simply he simply doesn't defend. He's just renounced the whole thing. I mean, that's a bit crass for killing Mbappe, Um, and it's thrilling to see his his speed from a standing start. But Mbappe is also very committed to those standing starts. I mean, he literally just stands and watches play like Messi does when France don't have the ball. Uh, But at the same time, he's playing out wide left. He's also agreed to surrender set pieces and give them to Griezmann, whose whose delivery is absolutely outstanding. Uh, And, you know, by by surrendering himself a little bit for the team, not entirely, but a little bit, it means that Mbappe has been the the best player of this World Cup so far. And France, I have to say, it's looking pretty ominous, not only for the rest of the World Cup, yeah, but also uh, the Republic of Ireland in March.
2: Well, if they win, my hope is that there's somehow like a little hangover and and they take their time to get going in the next campaign, knowing full well that no matter what happens, they're largely safe. Um, it's interesting, though, right? The, the point about Griezmann, like, let's just remind ourselves that Griezmann was somebody who looked at LeBron James' decision and decided that when he was renewing his contract at Atletico Madrid, it, it, it deserved a similar treatment. That like he was so important. He was LeBron. He was signing a new contract with Atletico and the whole world needed to be put on tenterhooks. So to get him to be the humble domestique, as you've described it, is one mm-hmm. of the great managerial achievements. And if you put that, the, what he got Pogba to do in the last World Cup, maybe we should give Didier Deschamps a little bit more credit than he gets...
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, no, totally. I think
1: so. Um, I was just listening. You're completely right. I was just listening to you, uh, during the performance ranking saying that basically every national press hates their national manager. It's kind of true, true. Um, like Deschamps even said at his, uh, at his pre-match press conference before his first game, just if the media can just cut us some slack here. I think the reason people don't really warm to Deschamps in a wider sense. Is that the team is more functional than it could be? There's just no real gratuitousness to the team. Like you think it could be so much more thrilling than it actually is to watch. But in fairness, he's got an extremely difficult. Uh, okay, he's got an amazing. Like okay, what in one sense you'll think, look at all the talent he has. What an easy manager manager's job it is to do that. But these guys have gargantuan egos, you know. I mean, the, the build-up to this tournament was dominated by a story in which one midfielder uh, allegedly employed a witch doctor to hex his own striker. You know, I mean, that's, that's some difficult, uh, um, team spirit to engender there, but he's done, he's done a pretty good job. The structure of that team looks so good. I think Giroud and for Benzema makes a big, big difference. And I think, uh, Deschamps is one of these great international managers. Like he's obviously had success at club level. Um, what did he bring Monaco to a Champions League final, but he's, he's, he's so tailor made for international management because it's just about managing characters, finding the right system, to allow them to express themselves and just managing to police their egos and their own selfish selfish interests uh, as best he can. He did it well at the World Cup, didn't do it so well at the Euros, um, but uh, the uh, the evidence from the first two games here would suggest he's doing it pretty well at the World Cup so far.
2: What about Southgate then? Um, you, you've swapped out the England-Wales Battle of Britain, uh, so you're going to miss Phil Foden erupting onto the World Cup stage with a hat-trick. What's Yeah. Well, that's if he plays him.
1: It seems uh, if you read some of the English press, I mean, uh, Philip Foden has been sacrificed to the altar of pragmatism here. Uh, it would appear. I mean, so I was obviously at England, uh, England USA on Friday night. Uh, one of the worst games of football I've ever watched. I had been to Uruguay, South Korea the day before. A nil-nil draw that, for the first time in recorded World Cup history, didn't feature a single shot on target by either side. <laughs> but I enjoyed that game a lot more than I enjoyed England USA because England. Made absolutely no effort to win the game and they were booed off at the end. And I know reading Wayne Rooney's column was kind of staggered by the boos. Obviously, that is, uh, that is consistent with what he said <laughs> coming off the pitch against Algeria in 2010. But if you're at the game and you realize how hard it is to get to that Al Bayt stadium in the middle of the desert and the amount of money that fans had spent. Uh, you could understand why they booed, because their team made absolutely no effort to win the game. Much of the criticism of Southgate is focused on the fact that Phil Foden didn't play. Um, But even if Foden came on, I don't think he would have made a difference, because England's England just lacked such intensity. And they were clearly like, a point here will do us. Uh, we're almost certainly through to the knockout stages. We can manage our pace here. You know, maybe they did it again at the Euros. They, in that drab draw against Scotland as well. Um, but obviously, you know, the uh, they will they will always be um, there will always be like a cause to labour among the among the players on the sideline. It was Jack Grealish at the Euros, and uh, now it's Phil Foden. Obviously, in Ireland, we can relate with Andy Reid and Stephen Ireland Wes and West. Yeah, uh, and, many, many, uh, and Wes Hoolan most obviously. James
2: McLean, um, James Coleman, various stages.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's mostly Trappatoni's work. I have to yeah. say. Maybe, uh, maybe Trapp has left that imprint on my mind. Um, and it turns out Southgate is just as defensive and negative as Trappatoni, by the way. I mean, uh, but, uh, yeah. So look, I, I just don't really get much of the criticism South going Southgate's way over not playing Foden. The bigger issue is how England approached that game. Look, Harry Kane said, look, we're in a good position to go and qualify. And maybe they did. But it was all very
2: dull, and it was it was kind of consciously dull. Isn't the but thing the it, Cup for? Sorry, go ahead. Isn't the thing about picking Foden though that it's a signifier to the rest of the team that we are actually trying to win this game, and that you all need to be a little bit on your toes because there is another player who's just as good as you, who I could find room for in the team. I, I,
1: the bloody
3: Henderson was yeah, the first sub on.
2: That's
1: yeah, a, but yeah, but like that shows you, Jerry. Like I mean, that would need Southgate to think that way. You know, that's Southgate thinking we need to bring Phil Foden on here to show you. That uh, you, you need to get you need to get your arson gear, but he didn't want to do that. And like as you say, Shane, the first so is uh, is Henderson. He came on the same time as Grealish actually. Um, but that was a signifier. Just let's get more energy in midfield, and let's just you know let's lock down this nil nil. I mean, the issue is not necessarily not bringing on Phil Foden. The issue is Southgate's conservatism and almost like managing. Trying to pace England through this tournament, and it look it it worked at the last Euros, so maybe it'll work again. But it's quite drab and uninspiring to watch. And I'm uh, I'm here for work. I can't imagine how more drab and uninspiring it is for the England fans who have travelled all this way and obviously can't really get a drink. So I mean, the memories that they will that are created have to be the ones on the pitch. And uh, England uh, showing no uh, real interest in creating any against the USA on Friday.
2: One of the things that has struck me increasingly. Uh, over the last while is as I start to like talk to people um, off the record about what it's like to be in changing rooms is that we don't really know what the dynamics are that um, so many of these people have like uh, card schools where massive amounts of money are being gambled I don't know if that's still the case with the football team currently some of them are business partners and ventures that are either wildly successful or have tanked horribly some of them have introduced uh, tax advisors who have got them all to invest in uh, was it wasn't it movie somehow there was a movie funding that has ended up in massive tax bills we 20 years later we hear about like oh our Euro squad was riven apart by the fact that somebody was sleeping with somebody else's wife and you're like Fuck no, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know the truth about what's going on and sometimes I wonder when there's a team selection that isn't happening for a reason is it down to character around the place is it down to like you know taking the remote control or something a bit more serious and that these are the bits that that the great managers manage properly and somehow manage to navigate a way through but it's frequently by the skin of their teeth like it's quite possible if they had pissed off the wrong player Mbappe or Griezmann that actually the France thing could have fallen apart like a house of cards but that somehow one conversation landed and everybody went yeah okay let's go with that yeah we'll, we'll do this and maybe maybe Phil Foden's not getting the team purely for football reasons, but there are other selections in in uh, big countries where you are like that guy should really be playing, but we just don't have a clue what's going on. And it's all, but it's also I like I
1: can't speak to I don't know anything about the uh, you know any potential off field issues or character issues I don't know about that, but it it comes back to the strength of the collective. You know I mean. I mean, the most obvious thing in international football and the challenge for these top guys is you have so many good players at your disposal. How do you mould them into a functioning collective? And that's what Deschamps has done. Um, and we've seen by playing Giroud rather than Benzema. Now, obviously, there was extenuating circumstances as to why Benzema was, was not the last World Cup. And he's injured from this one. But we saw him at the Euros and France were not quite as balanced. We're playing this back three. Didn't really work. And Bappe was in the wrong position. Just nothing really worked. And Southgate said afterwards the reason that Foden um, the reason that Foden uh, didn't come on was like he would have played through the centre and he doesn't play there for his club. Now I can understand that because Southgate doesn't hasn't had a whole lot of time to work with the team ahead of this World Cup. I mean, no manager has apart from the Qatar manager, and that didn't really work out very well for them. Uh, they only had six days preparation, so it's natural to you know to make the, to kind of mitigate against that by playing uh, players in the in the position in which they're familiar with their clubs. But it all comes down to the strength of the collective. You know, over Benzema is the most obvious example. It's not about stacking your team with you know the eleven best players you can find because they might, may not function. They might not function as a best collective. Like one of the most interesting things about football is that tension between the individual and the collective. Um, and it would seem that Southgate, uh, Southgate seems that Foden is not in the best collective at England at the moment. Now Foden didn't exactly rip up trees
2: when he was deemed in that collective um, at the Euros. Uh, who's on France's side of the draw pardon my ignorance here who are they likely to it's England in the quarters oh I think England isn't it yeah. England and Argentina It's they're all the t- it's, I think it's just top half and bottom half so uh,
1: England and Argentina I think were the two big two big names but I I, I don't know I can't see France struggling against well I don't, you never know I mean they gave away such a poor goal against Switzerland but it, uh, from a set piece but it's hard to, it is hard to see them struggling against uh, against either of those teams it's an interesting, like uh, I just can't see England It. it the more you watch like
3: the more you watch the game against the USA, you're thinking like this is not a team that can. It didn't feel like the England team of the Euros two years ago, Gavin. There was something like we all really? kind of got a bit. I thought tra- it was very similar. No, no, but it, just in the sense that go. Sorry, go ahead. It, just in terms of the lack of like the lack of desire to go and win the game, you felt like that team in the Euros was was always trying to go play an attacking style of football. Like the Iran game, maybe we got carried away a little bit with it. Um, a six-two win was was very impressive, and they were really really good that day. But. I don't know. There's just... there's just There feels like there's something... We'll probably know
1: more after the Wales game, I guess. I don't know. Um, Like, I mean, Wales are... I mean, unfortunately, uh, uh, Wales are not at their best here. I mean, they were so poor against Iran that this is a tournament too far for Ramsey and maybe it is for Bale as well, Mm -hmm. given um, his lack of match fitness. So England could win that game pulling up. I disagree when when we say we didn't see this from England or the Euros. Like, this is what we have seen. They managed their way... Through that group, and they didn't play very spectacular football. But it's, you know, Southgate is trying to do a similar thing to what Deschamps has done, you know, find the right structure, right collective, and just manage your pace throughout the tournament. Like there's no gratuitous, there's there's nothing over the top about France. England are obviously trying to mimic the same way. And when you look at Argentina and the emotional psychodrama that they continue to be, that's probably the right way to go about things, ultimately.
2: Yeah, no, there's, a, there's a case for that. So it's Brazil-France final, basically, if everybody plays to, to form, which, you know, I mean, the new Ronaldo documentary that we've been talking about. Um are due a rematch. Mm, oh, yeah. No, it would be fantastic.
1: I mean, I, I, I wasn't at the stadium for France, or for Brazil's first game. I am going later on, so I'm looking forward to seeing them in the flesh. They have a couple of injury issues, obviously, around Neymar, and now it seems like the 59 year old Danny Alves may have to play in place of Danilo so it will be interesting to see how they deal with that. But based on what I've seen so far it is it does look like Brazil and France are the two best teams. Spain, you know if if Marata can find some kind of glorious hot hand streak, maybe Spain. Um, I think they showed against Germany that they're technically so excellent and they can dominate games, but maybe they just lack that bit of
2: cutting edge. It's the Spain um, quarterfinal, I think, isn't it? Brazil-Spain quarterfinal, as far as I, I think, yeah, Well, well, well that, would, that would be spectacular. Mm. Um, so, yeah, those teams, they look
1: a cut above, I have to say.
2: Yeah, so there's going to be loads of good games. We, we definitely, there was a conversation at the start of the show about quality of the World Cup so far, but I think everybody and somebody, Shifty, lad, I think, made the point that, like, uh, retrospectively we all remember the good points and blink away the nil-nils the group stages is not about loads and loads and loads of good quality moments it's about making sure the best teams reach the round of last 16 and that maybe some jeopardy in the final group stage game but that mm. we want the best teams in the round of last 16 and the quarter final so that those games are the ones that produce the all-time classics
1: Oh, completely. Like I mean, there was there were upsets in 2018. Remember, 2002? There were so many upsets, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it it led to kind of slightly disappointing semi-finals in in one sense. But I've also loved it. Okay, so the funny thing this is, the first time I've ever been to a World Cup or a major tournament, you do miss a lot of it, but just in transit from one match to another. Um, and so I haven't had to sit down, and there have like I've managed to swerve most of the nil nil so far. Luckily enough. So uh, maybe it's a different experience watching on TV, but I think it's been a really w- good World Cup, even from a from a story point of view. You know, obviously Iran, the scenes of Morocco against Belgium last night, uh, the noise generated by the Saudi Arabia fans, like that upset against Argentina, is one of the iconic upsets in World Cup history. So I think the goals per game ratio is definitely down on, on Russia. Um, but at the same time, I think the storylines have been so good. And like you say, I mean, we like those upsets, but at the same time, we really big boys through to the last eight yes. and let them fight it out from there. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly.
2: Gav, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you. That's uh, Gavin Cooney, the 42, there from Doha this morning. OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. I don't what's, see what's, the, I- what's the story with your Mo? I know, I know. I ha- come on, you've had, like, you've had <clears throat> literally 28 days of a you can sort this shit out, Shane. It'd be quite a bizarre way to do it, to shave on the last day of November. No, you can do it, you can, you can do it. You know, Are you allowed to do
3: that? You can, you can do what you want now. And then have a mow for the month of December. Well, you could definitely do that. Yeah, yeah I, I'll consider it. Yeah, yeah, that, that would well, be suitably, two days left, suitably rebellious. It would. It would well, you were going to make a point about Murata. No, sorry, Morocco. <clears throat> um, right. I, I actually would love to see a Morocco in a semi-final. I know, I know, it goes completely against uh, the grain of wanting the big teams in the in the big games, but I'd love to see uh, a surprise. Uh, but uh, granted you want the surprise team to put it up to the team in the semi-final as so well so
2: Brazil, France in the final but Morocco to reach the semis yeah
3: maybe uh, I'd so see a little couple of little surprises along the way where a team like Morocco makes a, makes a decent
2: run Like, so it is I should also point out that it's completely ridiculous for us to sit here and go it's a Brazil-France final Yeah. it's just that they could possibly make it that far if things continue to go the way they are but one or either of those two teams if they do both make it will definitely be involved in the penalty shootout because it's the World Cup that's how it works <laughs> somebody battens down the hatches goalkeeper has a crazy day and then you're through to whether or not one team has the bottle or not to make it through yeah and, and I th- the point you made about the, the, the environment and not knowing what
3: goes on behind the scenes is a good one like uh, I kind of mentioned this on Friday but the fact that in the 2018 World Cup I was reading the other day about Deschamps when, uh, after the France-Argentina 4-3 win for France in the 2018 World Cup Adil Rami uh, had his teammates waking him up in the middle of the night and he came out Annoyed that they wouldn't let him sleep with a fire extinguisher and let off, set off the alarms, the whole hotel wakes up. I saw the footage. Mad, yeah. And then D- D- Deschamps, the, the players are sitting there for breakfast the next morning, going, "He's going to go buck mad here." But Deschamps instead made a joke about it, and the players were like, "Oh, right, this is the way this this is going to go." So that was mad management.
2: If you haven't seen the footage, it's like it looks like there's been a fire because there's been so much uh, fire extinguisher. There's joking, like and there's somebody like obviously. He's naked, wandering around the place. Yeah, and I think the hotel management comes down Did everybody have to get out of their rooms? I think so. so.
3: Alarms went off, and and the whole hotel is woken up. So. Yeah,
2: and whoever it was was telling the story was saying, "Look, you are a player. You know this can happen." Mm-hmm. And so instead of going completely crazy, he bites his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And they all got in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
3: that look who's to say that they wouldn't have gone on to win the World Cup anyway if he'd gone buck mad, but I mean that, that I think it was a smart move by a manager and that's the sort of thing we don't hear until uh, after the World Cup tournaments are over, so.
2: All right. Check out the lunchtime wrap today bringing you all the latest sports news. That's with Thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo food, we get it. Right, it is time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there. So many
0: spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean, a spoofer? He's a bullsh**. Ah, uh, no, i Come on, don't, don't be. No, I'm not having yes. a No.
2: Um, yeah. So the sports page is obviously very, very busy weekend. Uh, I got to start with the Uh Are you disappointed with Jones? They're not angry. They're disappointed like uh, you know all parents are with their children
3: uh, Only I every know. time you read the Eddie Jones headlines you have a, you have a smirk on your face I don't, think, uh, I don't know if that's it's, on purpose it's, or just by natural
2: Look you know I'm terrified that they'll turn it around for the World Cup but maybe they won't maybe this is the time that uh, that somehow they manage not to They won't They can't
3: surely I oh, know I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop saying that because
2: Brian Moore the England hooker I get the feeling Jones might be stepped down before France 2023 I mean I wonder where he's getting it from the remaining impediment is finding a suitably qualified and available replacement. That's not an impediment. You've got, like, world-class coaches. Mm-hmm. Like, just pay the money. But r- don't, the don't the m- pay the money. Sorry, what, what am I talking about?
3: Yeah. You've got Borthwick, you've got Robertson, you've got Raj. They're, they're lining up, they're queuing up. Yeah. So the, 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 lack, the lack of available candidates. Who was it the
2: suggesting Robertson and Raj could go together?
3: Yeah. Who was that? Um, a even, was it Quinny even last week was suggest that there could be all three of them together? There could be some sort of mad. You can't have Wardwick
2: and uh, well maybe you can stick Wardwick and the um, forwards stick and Mashtags, then yeah, then they all have their opportunities. Yeah,
3: maybe maybe you can't see it. Rog kind of almost said that when he was on with us that you know it's, it's tough to be a number two
2: man when you've been a number one. So that's a fair point. I'm at a loss to see what Jones is doing, says Brian Moore, as they play South Africa in the final test. I mean, given uh, should we? I'm um, also like you know South Africa a routine victory with fourteen men. Yeah, that's the, not great. That's the point. Uh, 14
3: men, and, and they just couldn't turn it around. It was a. Uh,
2: it's not great that like they're now back being really good again as well. I'm, I'm far more worried about South Africa winning the World Cup than I am about um, England. Yeah,
3: it's fair. Uh, I think. Uh, look, as I said, if they're going to sack Eddie Jones, I think you do it before the, before the, uh, the
2: Six Nations potentially. But um, yeah, it's, it's hard to see it. Uh, Munster must banish any thoughts of Toulouse test. This is um, the preparation for next week, even though the two, they won at the weekend. Fulcrug's uh, beefy riposte earns Germany a lifeline against Spain. That's a uh, picture in scoring the equaliser yesterday. Jewel, jewel for croaks a disrupt Leinster doubleheader. So, uh, chemical croaks are in the uh, men's Leinster hurling and football finals. They're on schedule for the same day. Kieran Dowling plays for both teams. Could, could play in both games on the same day, but it's kind of like, is there any chance maybe you're not going to make me do that? Is it, could we maybe sort it so that I don't have to play two matches? That's rough. An hour apart. Yeah, it's rough. Um, maybe the, uh, no,
3: you can't you can't do it because you're you're. It's just too much football, Brian Sheehy, as well. Like the, the, there's just uh, the double jobbing can't really happen in this day and age. But it, look, it's a great problem for chemical croaks. It means they're 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 uh, they're challenging on so many fronts. The ladies' team couldn't get over the line against mine from Monaghan. One of the players, Katrina McConnell, getting the the helicopter from her wedding. Reception and Sleeve Russell to the to the pitch in Dunamoin. Yeah, uh, great photos and of that over the weekend, and uh, she ends up scoring seven
2: points. Not not in any way overawed by the helicopter trip or the fact that she's just come for her own wedding. She's like, yeah, no, nah, it's
3: going to play really well here. Yeah, one hundred percent. She gets off the helicopter, and they're all cheering her, and she's like, right, let's go, and uh, yeah, goes on to to dominate the game. So really big win for 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 Dunamoin, five time All Ireland champions, of course. But um, yeah, a small rural club doing really really great things up in Monaghan. So yeah. fair
2: play, and uh, you know. Uh, if you if you need to get a helicopter, get a helicopter. Newcastle West go extra mile for final day with O'Reilly's. Uh, Clomel, I think, had been many people's shouts as like a dark horse to win the whole thing. <laughs> and then um, they got beaten by Newcastle West after extra time. Five points in the end. So Limerick football, I wonder if it's going to have a bounce from the organisation of the county board properly over the last 10 years and understanding what high performance looks like. Will the footballers be the next force to come? There's a, a possibility about that. Cairns rallies had David Moran sent off in their game against Og Ennis. They still won by a point. So I, I'm not sure if he'll... Um, it was a second yellow. Uh, so, I don't know. Will they um, generally these get overturned for finals? They always appeal it, yeah, yeah. That's in the Munster Senior Football Championship semi-final in Ulster. Uh, Glen of Derry beat Cargan and they'll be up against Kilku in the final. Um, and then, sorry, the big result of the weekend, obviously, in the Munster Club Junior Football Championship Semi-Final, Fossa one twenty two, 22, of Limerick, five points. Uh, so what did Clifford score? He came off after 48 minutes, uh, Clifford, because obviously the game was in the bag at that stage. Uh, he only scored four points. Ah. Disappointing, David, you're like, obviously, you know, phoning it in as they win 122. But the big news is, right, so it's been the greatest year any footballer's ever had mm-hmm. in history. He's won Basically, absolutely everything except Sigerson, where they were beaten in the final. Yeah. Right. So, has won the divisional team, won the county championship. His club team is now going to win Munster. It looks like. Well, they're through to the final. They won the All Ireland, won the league. Uh, did they win? It? What's the what's the what's the Munster Cup? Whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one, <laughs> McGrath. McGrath. Um, at the end of the year, you get to go and celebrate with your team mm. on the trip of a lifetime. To Dubai and is it Mauritius? Mauritius as well, yeah. But he can't go because yeah. he's got to play for the. He's got to play for Foster.
3: Uh Like this is a trip I was chatting to. We had Gavin White in the studio on a, on a Saturday there, about a month ago, just after the All Stars, and uh, uh, he was so excited for the holiday. We were talking off air about the holiday in this trip, and and it was going to be unbelievable. And uh, per David Clifford, I, I maybe he doesn't care, um, but I mean it's it's a serious trip to miss considering he's he was so uh,
2: pivotal to that team and what they did this year. So. Ah look That is a sacrifice That is a big sacrifice And I hope everybody Understands the big sacrifice He's making Yeah fair play to him though uh, Never write off the Germans It's the Daily Mail Great, great line uh, Struggling Kane Makes his case to face Wales uh, Should Harry Kane Play against Wales yeah. Is it the right thing to do To try and get him Match fit Or do you rest His injured ankle Because you're already through Give him a rest I think give him a rest Yeah now, don't drop me as plea from Kane maybe he wants to be the golden boot winner again he figures like he See, might make up some goals against Wales because Wales are pretty crap he's three goals off uh, becoming England's all
3: time top scorer and, over, and surpassing Wayne Rooney and I, he's I got think, plenty of time to do it yeah but to do it at a World Cup
2: you know, I think that's in the back of his head yeah, but like, does anybody really like remember it, that Ronaldo it, broke his, that record when it was against Ireland they yeah, don't maybe yeah. St Nicholas super sub delivers for shaky Germans Rashford put me on the spot he wants to be a penalty taker Wales must give it their Al Joe Allen has urged his the Welsh Abbey. Um, the London Times back page headline. Messi close to deal with Miami. This is a Matt Lawton exclusive. So it'll be at the end of the season as opposed to... Uh, oh, no, it says after the World Cup. Sorry. I thought that it wouldn't be until the end of the season. That's what I'd originally heard, yeah. He well, to the end of the season, but he will sign after the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I figured that. Uh, Beckham has spoken of the club's huge ambitions. They've got uh, planning permission for a new 25,000 all all-seater Stadium. And it's an 850 million complex, basically in uh, America, the government pays for, even though, you know, the government isn't supposed to do the same. The government pays for big businesses to have these facilities and then the team makes lots of money at the back of the facility. That's how capitalism works. <laughs> they take uh, taxpayers' money and they give it to rich people. Mm. Who'd have known Phil Neville would be the, the next coaching genius behind Lionel Messi? Yeah, they're talking about uh, getting the band back together. So Sesk and Luis Suarez. Sesk giving up Lagadie Combo to go and live in uh, Florida. It's a hard out life, Cesc has managed to create for himself. And Suarez, I don't know. I mean, would you really put Phil Neville in charge of all these guys? Because his track record not great, you know? As soon as he comes out of the England women's football team, they go in the World Cup. It's a fair point. Um Jesus, yeah. What? What? That'll be
3: some moment for Phil Neville, though, being in charge of him. Yeah.
2: And it's hard for Bex to sack him, isn't it? Yeah, you can't really sack your mate. You just sit down and have a coffee and say, ah, let's move on here. <laughs> right. Enough's enough. Right. Alan Quinlan joins us next live in studio to talk more England, Wales and the URC. To turn first, more from yesterday's pay-per-view where the gang discussed the 2022 that Roy McIlroy has had.
0: Take a look. When Mick says, I love 2022 Roy McElroy, is that in contrast to how people have felt about Rory McIlroy in the past. Because I think Ireland, uh, you know, there has been an ambivalence about certain aspects of Rory McIlroy going back to the Olympics and things like that, yeah. which I think have gone now. But I always admired his ability just to kind of be who he was and to understand who he was in all those contexts too. He's always been headstrong. He's always been... You know, but also there's an, uh, there's an underlying intelligence. Yes, yeah, for sure. And I think maybe... Uh, uh, maybe there's almost too much intelligence there in t- at times to be a sports person or to be a sports person, of the, uh, to do everything that a sports person really has to do in terms of... Because I think with Rory, there's a line I may have used on this before. There's a line in uh, a Philip Roth book about a character. It's in American Pastoral and there's a sports person character and they say about him that he had no need for irony. Irony was a hitch in his swing. He's a baseball player, and you know, and McIlroy, I think, has a sense of irony, and he has a sense of, and he, you know, when he talks about his, aura. an aura and that stuff, he has an awareness of what is actually happening here, whereas other people think they have an aura. Think they have an aura. Yeah, Ronaldo mm. thinks he has an aura, um, and maybe that is why Ronaldo is able to kind of do the things Ronaldo has done. And at times, McElroy is an astonishingly successful golfer. But, you know, when when you again look at what, what was sometimes expected of him, I think he has taken a slightly different road. And part of it is because of that little bit of distance he had.
2: It's Dion Fanning on the pay-per-view. Uh, yesterday, you can subscribe to the pay per podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts or on the OTB Sports app. Now, Alan Quillen is with us. Alan, before we talk about uh, a bit of an uptick in Munster's results, if not the performance, well, I like the performance, was decent, but let's talk about England and Wales, because that's the great story from the weekend. Um, poor Wales. Where did it all go wrong? Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was, it was one of those
4: ones that it was a desperation-type scenario for them, and I think they brought great energy and kind of... When you look at that first half, and even part, you know the start of the second half, they were full of energy, aggression. I think they had that zip in their step, and they played like a team who were under a lot of pressure.
2: They were hammering Australia at that stage. They were hammering them,
4: um, and Australia were decimated. I think they were really kind of vulnerable going into that match with all the injuries they have had. Um, you know, they were missing a number of players against Ireland, but this week was, you know, they were really decimated. Still had a good team on the field. They had a lot of good players out there. But you think Wales, uh, in the position they were in, 21-point lead. Um, surprising, really surprising the way they capitulated. and uh, Not surprised with Australia. Um, I think we saw them in the Rugby Championship. Um, one of the you know the New Zealand game, the tries, the, the way they came back in, in the Test match, they should have won at home. In Australia, but they're capable of that. They're that kind of team. That, yeah, you know, if you give them, if you if you switch off a little bit, they're da- very dangerous. Wales lost their way. Um, they got sloppy. Um, they got a little bit lazy. Um, and credit to Australia. You know, there's a mixture here of Australia um, really throwing the kitchen sink at it to try and f- like you. You can imagine if that scoreline went on or, or even stayed at that gap, how how much pressure Dave Rennie would well, be under. I was going to say, it was... Really intriguing, both coaches under big pressure I think Australian press and I was reading some of it last week, seemed to give them a little bit of a break because of all the
2: injuries but their results haven't been good either this year and... Um, they're the lowest ranking, that Matt Williams pointed out in the show, they're ranked 8th, it's kind of one of the lowest they've ever been on on the world rankings
4: Yeah, does it all really really matter and I think they probably, you know we would probably get comments after this from from people... Um, from Welsh people who watch watching YouTube and all that kind of stuff so criticising us and reminding us we've never gone beyond the quarter final. But um, the here and now was not good for, for Wales at the moment and I think um it's you know when you've a twenty one point lead and when you lose to Italy and Georgia in the same year, um they're two big ones, aren't they, at home. Yeah. You know I, I was just thinking that if Ireland lost those type of games, the the pile would be. Mm. Mm. But w- when do you sack Big. the manager, Quinney? Like the, this far, if up know, these, Shane, before I the don't Six don't Nations? Know, because I'm not an expert in this, and <laughs> and you know, everyone will have an opinion on it. Um, it's concerning, but it's sometimes it's a little bit. It's down to personnel and players as well. I think Wales, their their regions are you know financially under pressure and. I have a lot of great friends in Wales, and I and I love the history around Welsh rugby, and I've had so many great memories over there. Um, it's difficult for them because the model that they operate under is 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 a tough one, and you know player development, finances, all that kind of stuff is challenging for the regions. And the proof is in the pudding, particularly around Europe. You know, the Irish provinces are very well looked after; they're very well financed. Uh, The model is safe and there's great support there. And you just look during COVID, you know, the IRFU have come out of COVID, lost a lot of money, but they've come out of COVID and they've, I think they're making a surplus this year. You know, their books are good again. Um, it's a constant challenge for Welsh rugby. And I'm not saying money is the thing that it's a checkbook scenario, but it's, it's actually supporting the regions more, getting their young players playing at a high level, having a crack in Europe. Um, which we see that Irish province is doing every year, which is really good to your development. But then, you know, as I said, the argument will be the Ireland, ha- Ireland haven't got by beyond the quarter final. But it's been a great year for Ireland. It's been a very successful year. Um, so Wales are in a tough place because
2: would, if Gatland is available and decides that he would take the job, do you have to take? Do you have to just say, look, we're a year out from World Cup. We need to do better. We can't afford to lose to Italy again next year. Like Italy might be. I Averitts. think
4: with with um heading into that there's game. something not right when you have when you're struggling with player personnel and and if Wales get everyone on the field who are fit they're a very good side
2: but that was the point I made But I think on. their
4: depth is an issue and and the
2: they're paper thin mm, but if everybody's right. fit
4: but we're no, we're, trouble. we're not in you know no. if we lose a couple of players too Ger from an Irish point of view uh, no it's true we could be in big trouble yeah. so Scotland Ireland Wales will always be in that situation France and England will always have way more depth because of the strength of their leagues. than, Not necessarily the strength, but the number of teams they oh, have 100%. So you can handpick guys all the time. Would Gatland make a difference? Of course he would. I think he would because I think he would give them a, a bounce anyway with his presence. Uh, the public would love it. Um, he's done nothing but brought success to Welsh rugby. So popular there. But it's a risky one for him. Uh, because if he goes back there, he's leaving New Zealand. He's up in sticks again. He's back with his wife in New Zealand. They're settled. But you know, I think he loves and he feels so. He felt so loved in Wales, and obviously had great success with him. He took Wales over when they were in this kind of a similar position and brought instant success. Really, um, met a very strong, robust. Gatty's biggest strength is, is I think. The morale, the mood in the camp. Well, the team has an identity. Around. Everybody knows what the road Yeah, yeah. Is. and I think um, he was very. Sh- he's always very shrewd about bringing good good technical coaches in around him. Yeah. Um, Sean Edwards, obviously, is... Um, Not going to be available. He's He was a big, big, big loss to Wales.
2: You have to assume that there are other people equally as talented as Sean Edwards, available that Gatling might be able to convince to come and join for a yeah, year? Yeah,
4: you, you've got a again, you've got a checkbook job here where you've got to go out and get good people to come in and, and obviously if you get a good coaching team it will give Wales a bounce I'm not sure, you you know, you hear this stuff in sport that they're not playing for the, the coach or they're not playing for the manager or something's not wrong or the camera's gone up to the box, um, the coaching box and they look disjointed I've seen that you can read a little bit of stuff into that if there's a, if there's a row or if they're not if yeah. we've seen it on a regular basis but when, when you're under pressure um, Stephen Jones involved there as well, top, top top bloke, um, great fella, I think he's um,
2: The guy that might keep someone like Stephen Jones for continuity, if, Yeah, if yeah. who in.
4: knows it's, So it's, on
2: balance, what do you think is more likely PIVAC is in charge or not in charge by the time the Six Nations rolls around
4: the way it's going I think not in charge but it, that may be dictated to by finances as well else. and, and yeah. can they go out and afford to pay uh, a huge salary to, to Warren Gatland again um, but it's very concerning for them and it's not good to see and I've always said this it's not it's obviously we want to beat Wales and we want to beat I know England I, I'm, and we pay against a
2: little bit them of this now,
4: I've got to say but a little bit of this we well I'm not I, I think you know because I would have wanted Wales to win and have a good autumn Um, but I would have I I really want their their regions to be strong you know they can argue of course again they can come back and say well Munster not strong at the moment but I mean in general in the last number
2: of years to be in Europe and and, but Munster not being strong is a a crisis, the Welsh team's not being strong at the moment is what we've become accustomed to, like at least there's massive debate about what's going on at Munster it is like a Jesus, this needs to get Wales
4: fixed. Wales are a good side when they when they have everyone fit and available. But there's They're something really good, not yeah. right. There's yeah. something not right there as regards the nation being behind them, the results. I think the result against Argentina gave a little bit of hope. But they were well beaten by New Zealand again. And, you know, let's be honest, it's 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 got to be much closer than that. You know, New Zealand's scoring 55 points against yeah. them. Georgia... He's got to make changes there, and it's not the strongest Welsh team. But, but you've, you still need to be able got to, to win that game. Yeah.
3: It's impossible now, though, because the players aren't stupid. They read papers. They know that Gatland's name is now being mentioned, and that Pevak's days are essentially probably numbered. So, like, it's it's tough for players even to. It is. Sure, that. I
4: think Wayne Pevak is very popular, and he's very well liked by player the players. But you have someone like Jamie Roberts who's saying, and he's a Welsh legend. So maybe it's not for me to say Wales have got to make this change. What's he's, what's Roberts saying? He's saying. Back Pivac, no,
2: no, it has change. To
4: change. Okay, um, so I think it's tough times from at the moment, um, but you know, it's make the change now. I think, I think it's it's come to that point where you know they've played twelve, their last twelve games, they've won three, lost nine. Yeah,
2: it's too many losses. It's funny how like as a neutral observer I always felt like the November internationals were a little bit of a free hit for most countries but if you look back at the track record Ireland hammered South Africa they sacked the coach they got Razzie in and it was a transformative moment for South African rugby it's possible for a change now I don't
4: buy into this scenario of what's too close to the World Cup for anyone even if it was in an Irish scenario because at the end of the day, sometimes that change you get that bounce out of it, and it's worth rolling the dice. Sometimes, if it's not hasn't been working and not working, yeah, you've got to make change. Um, England's scenario is similar, but Ireland go to to Cardiff in the first Six Nations game, and we'd much rather Wayne Pilek in charge than Warren Gatland, wouldn't we? Like we would, exactly. Do you know, like because it, even that psychological edge, you can imagine well, if Gatley was there and he would yeah. be throwing stuff out during the week, and he'll be he'll be testing Ireland. They'll find that bit of a surge for him if it happened but um, it's it's a tough decision for them to make and it's a tough place they're in at the moment
2: Uh, Is it as tough a decision or is it actually easy to stick with Eddie Jones at the moment in in England Um, Clive Woodward is like the knives are out and Clive Woodward is like this review that we're about to do is pointless because we don't know who's doing it and then afterwards we don't really find out that much about it and there's no jeopardy involved it's just a oh we recommend you do this 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 and this um, and he's saying for reasons which have never been explained to me I've never been invited to participate in any of these reviews at the risk of sounding arrogant I believe I'm the most qualified Englishman to conduct an investigation people might read that and think I'm angling for a job nothing could be further from the truth the role as RFU director of rugby would have interested me ten years ago but that ship has long since sailed Clive rules him out of the uh, position which he wasn't uh, asked to do it's, um, it's just an interesting little dynamic at the moment where somebody has won the World Cup in England and he's piling on this guy who's never won the World Cup for England but has been involved in very successful teams he, he has been for a while and I think
4: it's a very valid argument to say that he is the most qualified person um, he you know, got the best out of that England team albeit it was full of characters full of quality but you know, he brought that success to them and um, England have been two stop starts. Um, again, I think the quality of players. And I looked back at their team from Saturday, and they're a better team on paper than what we, we've seen from them. They look lost for ideas. They looked disjointed. Their set pieces poor. They wouldn't f- put, you know, they wouldn't put any sort of fear in you at that England team. The way they're playing and um I think from the amount to, the quality the type of player they have um, there's something something not right there there's something not right he's not getting the best out of them and I think he's lost the dressing room in a sense and you hear that from ex-players talking about you know the regime he's run the way he's chopped and changed coaches over the years Um, he's been absolutely ruthless and probably not very nice to some of these people Um a lot of a couple of them have spoken out about it about the environment, it can only take you so far. That yeah. fear, yeah. that 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 fear of failure within the group, that that fear that's in players, and they're being held back here. And I think um, he'll be very, very lucky to survive. I must say, Eddie Jones has come out with you know the kind of psychological warfare over the years and made some kind of disparaging comments about Irish players and. Ireland kicking the ball. Johnny Sexton's uh, worry about when he retires. Stuff like that. That wasn't. Um, it, it created a lot of headlines. He's always been someone I've kind of had a, a, a an admiration for, if you like. It's box There's office. There's something about yeah. Even yeah. when you meet him, he's he'll have a chat, and you could be saying something about him week before, and he'll say hello, and he'll chat, and uh, it is box office stuff, but.
2: What's that, what's, that like, right. what's that like day to day though when, when that's your coach and you're not quite sure what you're going to get in terms of the consistency. Sometimes he's ruthless, sometimes he's praising you, sometimes he's telling you you're no good. He's writing books, he's coaching in Japan. Do you know, it's like...
4: I'm sending a player a packet of sausages telling him it's a fillet steak, that he is a sausage uh, when he opens up his package at home and uh, needs to work on his game. Did you? I heard that story last week. No, what's the story? A particular player, um, he didn't pick him but he... Sent him a package, told him it was a fillet steak, go home, have a nice steak, released him from camp and uh have a nice steak, relax, you'll be fine. The guy opened up the package, there was sausages in there, and he got a text message then saying, Well, you're a sausage, you're working your game and uh <laughs> no, I don't know how true that is, but that was on, on uh on social media last week. Tough but love, that is tough love. Has been tough love from, from Eddie 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 Jones. I think Mike Brown, who played under him, um Got Bart- dropped by him and yeah. released and not picked. He's coming out now, saying in the papers again, again when it's, it's not our back garden if you like. But when you see ex players and it's the same in well in the Welsh scenario, who are respected, who've been there, done that. They know the culture. They've been very passionate. Mike Brown has been someone who's been very, very. He's so passionate about England. There's probably a little bit of a needle there by you know, his clash with Eddie Jones and Jones not picking him. Mm. Um, so you gotta read between the lines as well. But you know, Will Greenwood, I saw him doing a video afterwards and Twickenham. Someone who would have been very pro Eddie Jones and I think probably has a good relationship with him. I know Eddie Jones is you know, they've done coaching sessions together and done events together. He thinks it's really, really, really concerning. And that result on Saturday was... He's
2: the moderate voices in are saying... Yeah,
4: that. and you've got a Somewhere between the lines, I think he'll do well to hang on, I think, but at once, this stage. Once you've lost the Twickenham crowd and he has... Like, the booze
3: at the end, like... Eddie Jones is the biggest sausage in English rugby at the minute. Like, he, he's, he
4: seems to be the problem. I know the players maybe aren't playing for him, but I mean... On paper, Shane, better team, aren't they? Yeah. Surprising, you know, and... Like, I think I also saw some stuff about the reaction of when they're you know, way behind against New Zealand and the shackles are off. Yeah. And I think they were brilliant. Well, um I, I, Ben Young's coming on made a huge difference. The energy, the tempo, the there's taking risks, I think Eddie Jones has kind of strangled the team a little bit and he's trying this power game, uh, keep it direct, run out over teams. Um South Africa are the ones that are the best at doing that and they're brilliant at doing that. When you see an English scrum at Twickenham going backwards, you're kinda of going.
2: <laughs> this doesn't happen.
4: It shouldn't happen. And if you go back and talk to any of the ex England internationals or passionate English rugby fans, you know, you kinda of have your ground rules at home and that doesn't mean that they they don't they'll always work for you. But when you see
2: an English pack being dominated like that, Brian Moore, very, very concerning. Brian Moore is saying that the, the remaining impediment to sacking him is finding a suitably qualified and available replacement. Like, Gatlin must be going, I mean, what? I, I'm available for that. And also, Scott Robertson has literally said in the last three weeks, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd love the New Zealand job, but the England job would also be good. He's he's sitting there, right there, ready to go. They could easily pay for Borthwick if they needed to, like... I know they always talk about the debts that they have around um, the refinancing of Twickenham, but English rugby can generate money if they need to. It's not a question of of money with Jones at the end of his one year left on his contract. They would find the money.
4: They'd get private money if they wanted it.
2: Yeah. Somebody somewhere will bail them out. Exactly,
4: yeah. Um, I think Scott Robertson is the one that's... um, to try and get him to move now. Maybe, you know, I I don't know, or get somebody in now, but I think Eddie Jones, is a review... Going to happen over the next two weeks, as you mentioned there to start. I think it'll be very, very hard for him to survive. I really think it'll be, r- and the tough thing for Eddie Jones personally here is if he doesn't survive, does the American scenario? Because I think that that could possibly be a done deal with him going to and America. Maybe he
2: just takes that over early, like because they don't have the World Cup to go yeah. to anyway. So, um.
4: and I don't think that if they've agreed something with Eddie Jones that they're going to change their mind at this stage. You never know. Um, but I think the results are concerning. You know, even the Ireland game, if you go back to the Six Nations, I've, you know, I know the sending off was early, but I just thought that doesn't happen with England. It shouldn't really happen. If we go to Twickenham, we should be absolutely having to play out of our skins for 80 minutes. Yeah. Get a bounce of a ball, and, you know.
2: It's the pin of our I'm collar. I'm not saying
4: it shouldn't happen, but. You're, it's concerning you know that there's something missing there as well, and look, people could argue it's down to some quality, but when you look at the English team and look at the Welsh team and the depth that the English, English rugby has, given these guys are playing kind of week after week and the quality of their young players coming through, the results are not good enough.
2: okay, just' a quick question about the the Connacht monster game um, Monster obviously win in the end, and it's comfortable the The bonus point. Secured and the result is, is never really in doubt. In the first half, when Ralston gets the intercept and goes over, uh, was there any fear at that stage? Ooh, this looks like it has a, a familiar bang
4: to the rest of the season. I, I would have been never been comfortable. Maybe when it was 24 10. I think that was the time where you thought if Munster go down the field now and kind of control the game, kick a penalty, make it 27 10, that it gives you that bit of comfort. But connector side that are hard you know they're a good side they're a very dangerous side and I think they knew what was coming with monster. I think it was uh, parts of it were much better there's still a lot of mistakes um, they're a better side to watch mm-hmm. I think they're actually trying to move it a little bit more and, and that's what they've been doing since the start of the season I think they're still it'll still take a little bit of time um, I think when the intercept goes in yeah I think you're thinking does it have this feel of uh, but I think overall I think with respect to Connacht I think Munster seemed to be that bit more controlled um, they made it there's a lot of mistakes there there's a lot of handling errors
3: Antoine Frisch had a bit of something doesn't he like first yeah, UFC star he's a lovely star.
4: player I think and um, lots of people um, whether you're a Munster fan or not can see that this guy there's something there uh, France have been trying to get him back <laughs> Fabien Galte has been putting a lot of pressure trying to get him back and play with France. They've seen the quality of this guy. We've got to see it consistently, obviously, and see it in Europe when he's under pressure, but there's a natural... There's a Gary Ringrose sway to the way he runs, isn't there? There's there's always... Every time he went into contact, he's (sighs) looking for someone. He runs a good line. He's physical... I saw him actually putting on a lot of good tackles, the timing, clean-outs and the breakdown. Mm. He looks a really, really good player.
2: Yeah, if Jack Riedrich really just thought us anything, get him in the team, cap him and then go, and then we make our mind up over the <laughs> next couple of years.
4: Yeah, I think he's committed now, and I'd be very surprised if something like that happened. Um, I don't think it will happen, because I think he's come to Ireland, and he's, he's going to throw his lot in here, and um, he'll be very important, I think, it for a future. and uh, Yeah. We have a lot of quality in that centre position, but someone like him, you think, can really help Munster. They still have, you know, the scrum was a concern, the set-piece at times. Uh, Maul was good. Um, but, like, they were not never going to run away with the game and win it by 20 points. It was always going to be tight. I fancied him to kind of, it was a better, a, good, a strong Munster team on paper. Um, but, you know, really, really important bonus point win for them. I suppose it's all put in um a little bit of perspective Queen of the weekend
3: with the news of Toddy Weir's um really sad passing. I know this was a battle he's fought since um since it became uh, public in, in twenty sixteen. So much money raised, so much awareness raised for modern neuron disease as well and um an inspiring figure and really, really sad news.
4: Yeah it was horrendous I think and um I think everyone was shocked. Um obviously he's fought an incredible battle and I think the legacy he will leave is not just daddy Weir a rugby player, I think it's the fight he showed um the money that's that's raised for the research around motor neurons disease for the future to try and make it is it um to try and change that picture for people. It's an incredibly difficult situation for anyone. I think he's had an incredible team around him Doddy. I was over there a couple of years ago, and I did. I did some a dinner before the Ireland the Scotland Ireland game with Doddy, Gary Armstrong, um the former Scottish scrum half as well. And uh I just think that the impact he's had is just phenomenal. He's a, he was always a lovely man. Um but he's had a team around him and I actually started feeling feeling it for them. I know the people behind that team who've been with him from the start. Um, the fundraising campaigns, the events they 've had, and that 's been really heartening for daddy Weir as well, you know, but I think you know for somebody to to take on the illness like he did uh, be out there continuously fighting for 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 you know fundraising for research around motor neurons disease and you saw him before the New Zealand game a couple of weeks ago to go out onto the field, and he was he was very much loved, Doddy Weir, by everyone. Yeah. He was an unbelievably popular figure. Ever before he was diagnosed with motor neurons disease, and um, incredibly sad, and a really, I think everyone felt an air of sadness on Saturday evening when that came out. Uh, you know, just the impact that this man has had, and. Um, you know, Rob Burroughs is going through that in England as well, um, the former Leeds rugby league player. It's 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 heartbreaking to see no, this horrific. stuff happening. Uh but then you see the inf- inspiration of Kevin Seinfeld and what he's done and all the races and the the fundraising and you know, I think what Doddy Weir has done. Um, in the last number of years has been just inspirational and, yeah. and,
2: and that will be his legacy like and, said. And, and that work will continue Alan, good stuff thanks so much for joining us this guys. morning cheers it's uh, 17 minutes past 9 we're live every morning with Gillette in association with Movember effort to shave magnificent mo you can sign up or donate now at com on OTB Sports Radio today OTB Gold at 1 o'clock is Paul McGrath talking about the Jack Charlton Eres Blanc at 3 our Culture Hall of Fame is Lenny Abramson Jack McCaffrey is OTB Gold at six, and then the show is tonight live with Joe in the hot seat looking at uh, this evening's World Cup games and, of course, back at the weekend's rugby as well. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Up next, German football analyst Jasmine Baba joins us to, re- to react to Hansi Flick's side draw with Spain last night. Stay tuned. OTB. We're turning our attention to the German football team after their one-all draw with Spain last night. I'm delighted to say German football analyst Jasmine Baba is with us. Jasmine, good morning to you. How are you?
5: Yeah, all good after last night. How are you guys doing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought that maybe Germany were going out of the World Cup for half an hour. I mean, not out-out, obviously, with the way results have gone. They're still alive, but the quality of their performances hasn't quite been what we would have expected from a German side at the World Cup so far. What's your assessment of where they are?
5: I think it's still in very much the transition phase from Yogi Love's side. I think we've seen that with the amount of changes Hansi Flick keeps on making to especially his back four. Um, and also the amount of youngsters coming into the side of First World Cups or just general youth players like the likes of Jamal Nusiala, Yusuf Makoku, Nicholas Fulkrog, obviously 29, made the headlines last night, but... This is his world. This is his first World Cup and only his third German senior national team game. Um, obviously, with two goals now in those three games, so um, still in that transition phase. Still not very consistent. But obviously, they've only had one win in their last couple across. Tournaments, the Nations League, Friendlies and the World Cup. So yes, all different, all changing and quite uncertain around the German national team.
2: Where does the responsibility of Hansi Flick lie with, uh, it's either great management to allow yourself to be open to a, a player in form, scoring goals and throwing them into your team or it's like um, not quite understanding what the available resources
5: were. I think it's a bit of both. Um, It's quite obvious that this is a very different tournament to all teams. No one has really looked outstanding except for the likes of maybe Brazil. And because of the timing of the World Cup, we are seeing so many more injuries. We would have probably seen the likes of Timo Werner and Lucas Nemetra being picked in the striker roles for this German team. Even Leroy Sane has been injured and it's only came in for a short time last night. So, I mean, it's a bit of both. We can talk about the attacking side all day and how there isn't as much quality in other countries as there is in Germany up front and what Germany need. But there's also a discussion to be have um, to he had in the terms of defense in center back. The fact that Schlotterbeck has not really been informed, but got chosen, especially to start against Japan. Um, the likes of who's going to be at right back because Sula didn't look quite up to the job against Japan, looked better as a center back last night, but instead Tilo Kera, who is also a center back, filled out for right back last night. So. It's not particularly who's on form, but it's also who carries the big name who plays at Dortmund or Bayern Munich that maybe should not also play. And also Hansi Flick's kind of tactics into the role has not really changed from his Bayern days either. So it gives a lot to look at and see where the weaknesses are. So for instance... When he ever he plays Kimmich and Goretzka together, and this has been a tell from his Bayern days, that they tend to be a little bit more um, weak at counterattacks and defending those counterattacks. And we saw that against Japan.
3: It, it was a strange one, Jasmine, because I guess the problem against Japan was they couldn't take any of the many chances that they created. And then last night, they just couldn't really create chances uh, until the goal. Um, like, is this experiment of <clears throat> Thomas Muller through the middle, uh, you know, is Handy Flick quite ready to to dump that if, it, if it's not working? It didn't seem to work last night, for example.
5: Honestly, I can't say for sure. I think people have realised that Thomas Muller as a number nine hasn't really worked. It worked in the sense last night that they wanted him to press and to press Spain last night was their main goal to disrupt their play, to make sure they couldn't have the possession or do much with the possession that they normally have and could could do as seen against Costa Rica. So in that in terms of that, that works very well and Thomas Muller is good at that. But the thing is was when you press Is when you win the ball, you're supposed to do something with it. And the selection last night, especially, showed that the players that they put on couldn't quickly transition from a ball win into a goal scoring opportunity. And that's where also Thomas Mullen lacks because he doesn't have the speed as, say, Yusuf Makoku, even Kai Havertz. So the problem last night was not like a defined problem. They set up to just disrupt Spain and thought about the goals later. Whereas Japan, they just couldn't finish their chances. They they didn't really care for what Japan did. It was all about them attacking, them having possession, where the kind of role changed. They were the Japan against Spain. So it's two different problems. And it's this kind of consistency that Hansi Flick can't put his team together. So against Japan, if he started full Krug or brought full Krug earlier on, especially with Musiala as a 10 behind him, we could have probably seen them finish a chance or two more. Instead, he took off um, Gundagan for Goretzka, so he made that balance of the team weaker and then didn't have the same attacking prowess than, that he did in the late stages last night. His substitutions last night were were a little bit more um, effective. They were needed to put on someone like Fulcrook. But, of course, at that time, it was a bit too late. They could have maybe scored a second. We saw Musiala take that shot instead of um, give it back to Fulkrug just before the actual goal. So these are the kind of tactical problems that Hansi Flick has, hasn't seemed to iron out, which we can all see.
2: Is Hansi Flick a good manager?
5: well i he's obviously won everything i don't think a bad manager could win absolutely everything that there could be to win but i think the time where he did win everything he had a star-studded team he had the kind of luck of timing that the fact that covid had changed the course of the season throughout the nineteen twenty season bayern were a bit behind in the league uh coming up to christmas and for she mentioned Gladbach were on top of the league and they were a couple of points behind and there was five teams still in the t- title race in coming up to February and it was only until that covid break had affected everything only Bayern managed to sustain their form from before to go on and win the title and then obviously the champions league had completely changed that summer and we had that fantastic game in um, Bayern versus um, Barcelona, where it seemed like both defences had just not shown up. And I think those kind of things had kind of um, basically made a reputation for Fleck to being a lot better than his actual substances, because on the last year of Hansi Fleck's Bayern, they weren't as good. Tactically, they weren't as good as other teams. Um, the gap between Dortmund, how they played, and in terms of goals and conceding goals were a lot, lot closer. And this is what he's bringing into the Germany team. So he obviously has loads of exper- experience under Jürgen Löw. He was the assistant coach of the German national team from 2006 up to 2014. And I think there's a slight fear that some of his methods are maybe not updated enough to actually bring this German team out of the transition period that they're currently in.
3: You mentioned um, Jamal Musiala, and and like what a player! Like you forget that he's only 19 years of age, uh, such quick feet, just really exciting when he gets on the ball. And I know I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders within Germany um, because he's such a talent, but. Uh, He really adds so much to that German team.
5: He is absolutely wonderful. And the surprising thing about Musiala is that he has not stopped since last year. I remember talking about him last year and wondering why he isn't talked about more. But he is Bayern's top scorer at the moment and... um, really feel he's not only helping the German national team he's helping Bayern Munich be where they are at the moment so he's a wonderful talent he's he makes decisions light years of beyond his age Um, the way that he can just set up and lay off balls to absolutely anyone especially while being pressurized by other players and in tight spaces is again magical and world class
2: Uh, Having seen the results go their way in the last 24 hours, what's the level of confidence like amongst uh, the German supporters at this stage?
5: It's a lot better, but the Germans are very good at keeping their feet grounded well onto the floor. Um, they're, They're not taking anything for granted. They know that Costa Rica will be very hard to crack down on especially with their win against Japan, they basically set up shop and just worked on um, counterattacks, which is um, what Germany kind of suffered with against Japan so despite there being optimism, you know they are very very cautious about this last match but they are all in agreement about one thing and, they, everyone wants to see Niklas Fulkrug start. Um, so yeah, he's really grabbed all the headlines for Germany it, to, um, this tournament.
3: Has he kind of papered over the cracks of, of Timo Werner's absence? Because I, can, I guess heading into the World Cup you're, you're thinking that that's a, a man who's missing <clears throat> who can score goals and has that bit of experience but um, Fulkrug I guess has, has kind of papered over that to some extent.
5: I guess it's Kind of hard to say if it's papered over the cracks. They're two different problems and they're two different players. So Timo Werner would have definitely helped if they were working those quick transitions more. But there has been a problem with scoring goals with Timo Werner in the side as well. So that kind of box presence striker that they've needed to finish off many of the draws that they had in the Nations League leading up to this tournament... Um, has been with Timo Werner involved and they probably would have found a solution in the Nations League if they had chosen Fulcroke to start for them because they hold up loads of possession where Timo Werner works in with space in depth a lot more. So he likes to collect the ball and run, whereas Nicholas Fulcroke can receive the ball in the box and he knows how to read the box a lot better. So that's why we see kind of the positions he was in last night, the kind of goal scoring he was in last night. If anything, this actually shows up Germany's problem of, um, where they are and what they need in that team, especially if they plan to be a team with a lot more possession, especially against weaker sides such as the, G- whoa, I, Rate Japan, I think they're quite a good team with possession and there's obviously Europa League winners and Europa League players and Champions League players in that team. But against Germany, against Japan, Germany is expected to have more of the possession. And when they are the team with possession, you will need a striker, a bit like full crook, to hold up the ball and would be a plan b especially when you want crosses into the box when a team defends quite low back you want to have a plan b with crosses high and low and have that box presence and when you're working it in with the ball you want someone a striker like him to lay off uh, balls into the box as well
2: that last question for you then um where do you think germany go out of the world cup At- knowing everything you know about it and the possibility that they could go out on Thursday night, uh, kick off at 7 o'clock against Costa Rica, it's unlikely. But where, how far do you think this team is going to get?
5: Well, if you asked me before the tournament, I would have probably said quarterfinals. But the loss of Japan makes me really, really cautious. I cannot predict it at all. I would still like to say the the optimist in me will say semifinals. The realist in me is very worried about the group stage. So that's all I'm going to give in terms of predictions.
2: All right, fair enough. Jasmine, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Thank you. That's Jasmine Babi there, a German football analyst, and you can follow her on Twitter and on Instagram as well. OTBAM is brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. We are writing the Germans off, though. That's what... That's the... Yeah. Yeah. uh, Let's let's get ahead of ourselves and write them off. And also the theme theme of the whole show has been uh, every international fan base really doesn't like their manager or rate their manager. He wins the treble, including the Champions League and COVID, and... um, it was just fortunate the way the World Cup is gone Costa Rica will draw at them or beat them
3: on Thursday and that'll be it can't be surprised (laughs) Um,
2: we're back tomorrow with our man in Qatar Kevin Caban Valley El Adrian Mullen's going to join us New South course correspondent Frank Graney will give us the latest on the Regency trial and plenty more besides including reaction to today's football OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Moe